0: Hello, and welcome to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm David, I'm here tonight with Alistair. Hello. Rob. Hello. And James. Hello. I did have an entire bit planned where I was going to do the entire welcome in German, um, but Germany fucked it yet again, proving that it's been absolutely worthless since it lost the east part of it, Um, so we'll just um, ignore the, the result and move on. Rebuild the Berlin Wall. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's well, such a you...
0: small thing to ask.
1: <laughs> I, I yeah. feel, I feel that you're not so much asking them to rebuild the Berlin Wall as asking them to to reconstitute something else. But the, what that other the thing iron could curtain. be escapes me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen, I'm just saying the GDR oh, the iron, better.
2: The Iron Curtain was fucking rubbish. You could only turn one tank invisible, and fuck me, that didn't do much good. Yeah, well, the in the <laughs> sequel, you can do <laughs> nothing. better.
1: <laughs> like I'm sorry, oh. the Allies had the superior technology there. Apart from apart from the Tesla trippers, which although they've been kind of ruined by Elon Musk, it's still they got a you know, a place in my heart for them.
3: The most significant thing about those boys is that they can't be run over. Yes, is that true? I didn't know that. That is true. That's yeah. a, that's your that's your hot red alert two tip.
0: Which, <laughs> if you consider the the Tesla connection, that's quite an irony. It mm. is. <laughs> um,
2: right okay can, so can they be blown got... up inside their own vehicle that's the most important question
1: do you want to off put the podcast te... and go play Red Alert
2: <laughs> what if you put a te... no no it's a theoretical experiment what if you put a Tesla Trooper inside an Ajax fighting vehicle and then fired the main gun would it turn the Tesla Trooper into paste
1: uh, my sources say no <laughs> okay so David's dropped from the call <laughs> um
0: Right, let's leave that apart because we've got a lot to cover here. Um, I am suffering from the the trifecta of being on painkillers, post-vaccine madness and heat madness all in one. So the smoother an experience we can make this, the better for everyone. (laughs) Um, I'm still fucking recovering from last week's edit.
2: Right. Oh, Thank we'll you very much um, for that one, though.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly surprised you're still talking to us after that, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> I'm
0: only doing this on the promise of alcohol, which
1: is yet to be delivered. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we did promise you that, didn't we? <laughs> I, I might wait till you are right. off the codeine, David, if you don't mind.
0: Uh, honestly, the cocktail's probably what I need right now. Anyway, um, let's just. We'll start off the usual way with some little. Nuggets and news stories we'll talk about, and then for the main topic, we'll get this out of the way just now, we're going to be talking mental health stuff, so just consider this your content warning if you didn't bother to read the show notes, and we will be talking about mental health, the provision of it, and some of the issues that you can come up and face within that, as well as talking about some personal experiences on this episode, so if that's not going to be your cup of tea, you'll know to cut off just before the interview and you can enjoy the news nuggets, um, and then you can dip back in for comment or commentary at the end. Otherwise, let's go.
2: Yeah, though, fuck knows why. If you're suffering from mental health, you'd listen back to comment or commentariat, but hey ho. Um, anyway.
1: It's character building. <laughs> what is in making up a guy to get mad at? <laughs> the, problem, the, the problem with comment or no, commentariat. These guys make themselves up.
3: Yeah, the problem with comment, comment and commentariat is they are all real guys. Yeah. That is the worst part. Painfully I don't know, I'm
1: not, I'm not sure about that Money Coots figure. seems a bit fake to me. <laughs> it does seem very derivative.
2: Well, speaking of uh, fake Money Coots, shall we Shall we talk a little about um, people who are retired or may not be able to retire in the future? Uh, BT, fortunately... Oh, I was, was going to say, type. that's me until you said BT. Yeah,
0: um, B- BT in <laughs> a, Different in reasons a- you can't <laughs> retire, Alistair. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, victim BT, of the water walls is not anything to do with the the struggle that the bt people are going through just now <laughs> uh
2: yeah anyway so bt um of course privatized and therefore much more efficient with its uh assets um yes. is essentially you should stop thinking about it as a telecommunications company and more of a giant pension fund with a big leaking hole in its side um its current pension so like a
0: pension fund
2: <laughs> yeah, sort of. But how many pension funds do you know that own a telecom company?
3: Well, at least in a, one. In, in the past, when <laughs> when a big, in the past when we've talked about like big pension funds that have been like you know that are in private hands, uh, it has only ever ended well for them.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and this is from Private Eye, and it may be heading uh, BT, maybe heading in a similar direction. So their current total outstanding pension liabilities are at 65 billion pounds but the company's current value is i think around 20 billion pounds
1: i see no no problem with that that seems perfectly reasonable
2: no no no. i mean and the thing that makes it double extra special fine is that uh the current pension fund deficit is already standing at eight billion uh pounds but don't worry about it uh because what's here to save the day is according to private eye uh financial engineering which never goes wrong
0: Oh for love, fuck's sake this I love when we build the money. We oh, yeah. always fucking
3: do this. It's like a private firm uh loads itself up with a load of fucking debt for reasons that we won't go into and then It's load-bearing
1: uh, all... debt. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> is this uh I was, I was literally about to say financial engineering is that when you have a load-bearing pension fund?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. So currently, because they have this eight billion pension fund deficit, uh, and and people were starting to ask questions about it. So what BT did um, is uh, it put an extra two billion into the pension fund, uh, thus closing yeah the deficit just to six billion. Uh, but immediately, then the pension fund loaned the co- that that two billion back to the company. But through balance sheet magic, that meant that the $2 billion, because it's now a loan and no longer you know, belongs to BT, that means the debt was written off. Now, that's, in, to put it mildly, shenanigans, because uh, by law, and since Robert Maxwell blew up a bunch of companies in the 1990s, companies are expressly forbidden from borrowing from their pension funds to fund operations uh, because, well, I don't think I need to explain why that's a very bad thing if they're allowed to do that. Can I just um, check
0: mean, out? if I'm not allowed to do it with my savings account, why can they do it?
1: Yeah. Uh. Also, que- question, sorry, Maxwell, that name, Maxwell, is familiar somehow. There's not, there's not any connection to, to any famous public figures of note at present and notoriety, as sir
2: uh, well, that's there's just there's just the one, but she is, uh, at least according to a website set up by her very own family, completely innocent and the victim of slanderous lies. <laughs> I'd love to
3: have a website set up to tell everyone how innocent I am. My website <laughs> stating
1: my innocence is raising questions already answered <laughs> by my website. <laughs> uh, uh, but, critical yeah, support you- to Ghislaine, I guess.
2: <laughs> so to, to get around uh, this particular law that companies are not allow, allowed to borrow from their pension fund companies, BT found a really difficult way around it, which is a shell company, which uh, is particularly called Britel Scotland 2, uh, where BT borrows money from uh, Brittel Scotland 2. But weirdly enough, that fund is wholly or mostly funded through its pension fund. So <laughs> it's not borrowing... Saying,
3: like- this this fucking name, Britel Scotland 2, it's like, we can't just call it BT Scotland 2. We have to put some other letters in there as well.
0: well. <laughs> I'll be honest, I hate the concept of Scotland 1 enough. I don't need a Scotland 2. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so yeah, like it's not borrowing from its pension fund. It's borrowing from a shell corporation, wholly or mostly funded by its pension fund. And that, of course, makes it completely legal and all right. So don't don't you worry your pretty little head about that. And apparently Thinking. they're also. Um... Uh, I do I do want to say, Rob, the amount of
3: things you've been telling us not to worry about recently <laughs> <Yeah>. has been <laughs> causing me some
0: issues. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, don't yeah. worry that's the about the Keeps yeah. getting hotter
1: every year. Probably nothing. Don't worry. <laughs> My don't worry about it. Podcast warnings has people asking questions, etc., etc., etc. No, what, what I love about this little detail is the reason they call it Brittel is so that if someone does a search on Company's House for BT, it doesn't immediately pop up. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's, that's what that is.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that is exactly what that is. Um, so. Uh, Apart from that, apparently uh, the the UK pensions regulator is also telling pension funds that they can't get involved in like too esoteric a series of investments anymore because they're correctly worried that, you know, if they load up on on SPACs and Bitcoins and fuck knows what, and those all collapse that, you know, there's a giant hole in the UK's pension funds, which the government would then need to fill. But BT, for some odd reason doesn't think that that is necessary because they've got sound investment strategies of, you know, sticking money in in their own pocket and going, oh, look where that came from. So...
3: (laughs) I love to deposit £50 in the bank and then take it out and say, oh, look, I'm £50 richer than I was before I put this money in the bank and then just keep doing that. (laughs) ad infinitum (laughs) until I'm a
2: millionaire. Well, I mean, as long as the economy is based on material realities and everything is on the up and up... BT has absolutely no problems, and I, for once, absolutely re- no reason to suspect that that will ever change.
1: I mean, all of this really does come down to the fact that the fundamental principles of accountancy and balancing debts and servicing them is actual bullshit. It is very yes. well-constructed bullshit, oh, we... but it is actual <laughs> bullshit.
3: Are oh, we coming back to money is fake and bullshit again? Because um,
1: well, it, like here's a thing. I feel like, like I need to ring some kind of bell. It's like it's, to be totally honest, it's it's stacks of bullshit because money is fake and bullshit. We've been over this before, but yeah. no, no, this is the accountancy we use to track money is also fake and bullshit. So it's bullshit all the way down. Yeah, imagine yeah. four pension
0: funds on the edge of a cliff. The economy <laughs> works, works exactly like way. that.
1: Yes. <laughs> So yeah, it's fine.
2: I mean, you know, if you work for BT or maybe your parents uh, once upon a time worked for BT, don't worry. It's all good. It's fine. Just go to bed. I just... It's incredible. Like, you, you know, BT
3: essentially has what is a natural monopoly, which is telecoms. Yes. And how many times have we seen, you know, capitalists just fuck up one of the fundamental principles of... Capitalism, which is you own a thing and you charge money for it.
1: (laughs) Well, no,
2: look, Alistair, look, it's in private hand. It's much more efficient now. And if the privatization meant that the buyers took the debt they took out to buy BT and then put it on BT's balance sheet, that's now just BT's problems. And quite frankly, it needs to pull itself up by its bootstraps.
1: (sighs) (laughs) Do you know, I love the phrase efficiency generally because no one seems to bother to pause to check what efficient at what...
3: Efficient yeah, it's at always, what, exactly. It, I mean, like, if you want to get like a strict kind of definition of efficiency, it's what you want versus what you have to pay for it, and it's like,
1: well, it's uh, what yeah, you as soon want as is you... the real key component there, yeah. isn't it? Right? Yeah, it's a very efficient way of funneling public money into private hands. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I don't think it's been beaten, frankly. Short of just taking the public money and running away with it, but I'm beginning <laughs> to see that. Yeah, you just need a difference.
3: You just need a global pandemic for that
2: shit. Well, Honestly, fuck. quite frankly, it would just be more efficient and in a way much more funny if you know um, Matt Hancock and his buddies just literally wore those uh, striped black and white jerseys and just ran giggling into the Bank of England and just ran out with sacks of money. Like, that would just be more entertaining. That, <laughs>
3: Why are we spending so much money on burlap? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, so speaking of, uh, of, of spending money for, for good causes... Um, we're, we 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 beat Russia. We conquered Russia. The Ukraine well, is safe in the football?
3: Again. You assume say- this is football again? Oh no! no.
1: This- oh no, it's not. You, you say we beat Russia, Rob, but uh, <laughs> yes, I don't know. Does being buzzed by seventeen hostile Russian jets off the coast of Crimea count as as beat, beating Russia? I'm not sure it does. Well, I I'm just going to so. get
0: this out of the way just now. Um, but that would have looked fucking. Amazing, just just <laughs> want to say that just now. Just I, I appreciate the Mig.
2: <laughs> we all just, stand the Mig, D- David. They don't have, have the stars. On it, them. If it was a drive-by with seventeen Russian tanks, wouldn't you?
1: <laughs> I mean, at sea, that would be off the coast of Crimea. Yeah, yeah a drive-by yeah, by, like, by like, seventeen Russian tanks. You've got to hand it handed to them. <laughs> yeah, GTA
3: th- GTA Three
2: Tank Code cheap hours. <laughs> no, it's, it's red
1: alert free hover tanks. Clearly, yeah. Um.
2: <laughs> uh, but, no but that's uh, and I, I think but that was unconfirmed I genuinely couldn't work out whether or not that happened that uh, apparently one of the uh, UK ships strayed into Russian territorial waters and was shot at or at least so shot what, across the back what
0: allegedly happened, the first the first thing to come out was from Interfax which obviously is the the Russian end of things and they said that uh, a British Navy ship violated Russian territorial waters um and they fired a few warning shots and then dropped some bombs in front of it and then it it changed course and fucked off. Um <laughs> the next day then um there were stories all over the fucking telegraph and everything else about how the, the British will not be cowed, even Our though they were in this boys. instance. Because actually it's Ukrainian waters and we are recognising them as Ukrainian waters and we have every right to be in Ukrainian waters. Um, they Ukrainian yeah. waters I think. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Oh uh, no, no, we no we're not taking the fucking Milo Edwards route right here. <laughs> I, I'm, lo- I'm
1: looking forward to the very angry messages we're gonna receive from our listenership over that yeah, one. Yeah, send all, yeah, all, all yeah. concerns
3: to Count R Rob the or what is it? Count R the, that's it. Yeah No
1: we we keep it simple and consistent. Is that clock reset to four twenty, clearly? Yes.
0: <laughs>
3: yes. Our customer um, service. All, desk all flag
1: emoji complaints.
3: Well, think Cop about it. If you thing. think about it, every single time we tell them, tell the listener to uh, send something to CotRespector, it's like a self destructing message. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> eventually. Wait, to be honest, it's a self destructing messenger if he gets going. Hey, <laughs> I mean, but a, we like do like know we have thing...
2: to stop
0: asking him to do what.
2: Yeah, but David, you were right. Because there was like a whole thing in the, in the Telegraph where, like, right before all this happened, they had. I think it was, yeah, it was a Telegraph reporter. They were all on. The carrier, and they were like, Britain is ready for the world, and we know yeah, how protect- did they get there? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. weird isn't it? Yeah, strange um, uh they you'd find
3: these um, these particular newspapers on this particular vessel,
0: yeah, but Yay. they're doing this particular like dubious movement and fucking contested walls
1: at this particular time, too. What was going on then? Can anyone remember? Uh, Euros, isn't it was a Euros, wasn't it?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 oh well,
1: yeah. must have been nothing important.
2: No, not not at all. And you know, it's just not just at all that the UK is just desperate to show off show off its latest ramshackle acquisition of a piece of shit carrier. Um, go listen to whatever episode that was. We'll put that edit that in or not. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we will either edit that in or we
1: won't. I'm glad we narrowed <laughs> the options down. It <laughs> depends whether Jamie feels like it's work or not. Really, let's be real.
2: Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so they were all saying, like, look, we are completely ready for the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians and whomsoever will threaten our beautiful new carrier with our beautiful new planes on it. Ten of which, by the way, were owned by the US, still owned by the US Navy. So it's interesting.
0: Amazing. It wasn't even even a fucking carrier, it was a fucking destroyer that breached the waters.
2: And then we probably lost the fucking MOD files
3: at a bus stop. (laughs) (laughs) Which is
1: a fucking classic. Uh, don't worry, though. like I don't know if you're aware of this, but a solution has been found to these problems, right? Oh, all right. Be- I'm all ears. Go. Well, yeah, me. well, so obviously Defence Secretary Ben Wallace gave a statement on all of this, right? And wouldn't you know it, the titans of politics, the Liberal Democrats, have the solution <laughs> to these problems, right? Because clearly the issue here is we don't actually know the real story. And we'll never know because, you know, they've, they've, each side has a contested reason to give their spin on it. Russians say it, we're in their water really we say ready. we're not. Oh, man, you can't arm Willie Rennie. He's, he's like the platonic ideal of unarmed, essentially. <laughs> unarmed and disarming. Yes, to an extent. <laughs> However, no, the, the Lib Dem spokesperson for defence, Jamie Stone MP, has a brilliant solution. Um, and All I'm right. just going to read his statement in full, okay? The report by a BBC correspondent that HMS Defender was harassed paints a very concerning picture. The Secretary of State must set out exactly what took place. Her Majesty's Government must ensure that a continuous global positioning livestream can publicly validate the true position of all our warships (laughs) at all times, in real time. This will help keep our warships safe and clearly identify acts of aggression based on false claims of ships' positions at any time. British warships, go
3: on Twitch! (laughs)
2: That's amazing. I think we should start with a nuclear deterrent. I think we should GPS track our yeah. Let
1: let everyone know exactly where all our our missiles are. Uh, I I don't see any problems with this whatsoever. Right? None at all. No.
3: Just just imagining like. Just someone in, like, the reactor room of, like, an, a nuclear submarine just be, like, tick <laughs> <laughs> just,
2: just like,
1: oh, sorry, oh my god, right, you've just, you've broken me a bit, because I'm now picturing, you know how, like, Twitch has had this whole thing with hot tub, like, you know, um, streamers? <laughs> I'm just, I'm picturing that, but it's just some bloke... Sitting in a ring, floating off the side of one of the uh, submarines that's got trident on it, just kind of bobbing along, being filmed from the deck, so <laughs> to speak. I just, I'm loving this. Absolutely loving. I'm this. working at
0: the idea that you can like just play drops with the pain by bits to harass <laughs> oh, them. Many, just constantly bits? playing the fucking USSR and amp-
1: yes. <laughs> on the fucking trident subs. <laughs>
0: It costs 1984
3: bits to what? play that one, obviously.
1: Just find out whatever the DEFCON alarm noise is and just play that continuously. I don't see any downsides. Yeah, constantly trying
3: to throw the fucking uh, captain off. <laughs> yeah,
2: oh, fucking yeah. hell. Well, you hear us, what we're saying is, give us control of the nuclear deterrent. We are very responsible with it. The,
3: oh, the, 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 the real Chad move is to uh, put a text-to-speech message reader On your (laughs) imaginations,
1: but again, like let's just stress that is the Liberal Democrat spokesperson for defence coming through (laughs) with that absolute like killer idea—the rich fucking vein of comedy.
2: Yeah, (laughs) putting putting the Queen Elizabeth on (laughs) on Foursquare. This is fucking amazing. I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good shit! Um, Right, do we have any more news nuggets to cover before we kick into the main bit?
1: I mean, I, I have a little thing which I noticed which made me kind of... Uh, I don't know, I've got complex feelings about this one. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so, the complex feels of James. Well, you'll see why in a second. Um, so coming to Manchester soon is a, a, new, a new bar, uh, a new place to get cocktails and drinks, which, I mean, who doesn't love it, especially, you know, in the middle of a fucking global pandemic. That's just what we need, more mm. nightlife. But hey, moving that aside, it's, um, it's a little special. It's a prison-themed cocktail experience where the guests sit in cells wearing orange jumpsuits. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, I'm mm. only
3: hearing Jamie saying "For fuck's sake!" in my head. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: because, so, uh, <laughs> basically, uh, like a, a replica cell block and prison canteen are being built in the prison in the city centre of Manchester um, ahead of the launch of and. This is the real, just absolute gilding on it. Alcatraz yeah, oh yeah, no, which is already running in London and Brighton, by the way. Oh wait, so this is not only is this a
2: prison-themed cocktail experience; it's a chain prison-themed cocktail yes. experience.
0: Oh, yes, yes, oh, at, at least so one out. part of it, fucking right.
1: They also, um, it, it's brilliant, visitors or inmates have to smuggle alcohol Ugh. past oh, the warden kooky. And yeah. into the hands of existing inmates who will create bespoke cocktails with their chosen spirit. Love the word bespoke, don't you? It's just really great to see this in any prospectus for anything ever.
3: I just want to say, like, this really fucks me off because actual nightlife venues in Manchester places like like quite famous ones like Sankey's uh, comes to mind have been closed down in recent years ones that have quite a thriving had quite a thriving music scene was being replaced by fucking experience bars which you go to fucking once which play <sighs> fucking if- who.
2: Yeah, but this a very good point. Who the fuck wants to go back there? Like you do it once for like I don't know, yeah, a stag, you exactly. some shitty night out, and then it's like, yeah, you want to go back to the bar with the jumpsuits because the cocktails are so good. I, f- I really personally fucking doubt it.
0: Well, I, it, I really love when a dress code is so heavily enforced that I'm actually forced to put on something before I can go in. <laughs> well, like that, you know, that it, gets it, gets me even, every time. it
1: gets even better because there's uh, there's different prices because there's a cover charge to get in, right? For the prison uh. commissary area, it's twenty nine ninety nine, and for one of the cells, it's thirty five ninety nine.
0: dollars oh, Suck my entire deck. Mm.
2: Yes.
1: Like, that, that very much is prison currency, but I'm not sure it would apply it's, it's, here.
2: Can, can we open, like, a side room that's just death row?
1: I mean, <laughs> you know, given just, how just, tasteless they are, they probably will at some point, let's be real. We
3: can, let's just jump forward, like, a thousand degrees of gentrification and just have the suicide booths from future armor.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, deal. I mean, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And then like, we'll even put a little hose inside the suicide booth that just sprays you with fine vodka mist before the knives come out.
1: (laughs) But don't worry, it it is creating local jobs, right? Because it is a theatrical experience manned by a Ah. cast of actors, including bootlegger bartenders. So, uh, you know, if you, want, if you want a job in Alcatraz, it's not enough that you're wearing this stupid outfit and putting stuff around. No, you also have to be an actor and really commit to the bit of it being a prison experience. I'm sorry, but every single what, fucking where, time where I try I'm... and
3: pronounce the name of this place I would, I would 100% of the time call it Alcatraz.
1: <laughs> Just...
0: I'm sorry, but like, the one thing that I do not want when I'm out for a drink is someone putting on some fucking weird act to me. When I'm trying to order a drink, that sounds like the most fucking painful experience, especially after three or four drinks. I'm tired of it. I don't want any more of that. Just give me a fucking
1: drink. Give me the drink. fucking drink. Yes, Yeah, exactly. I'm just, I'm picturing this opening in Glasgow and it's like, right, can I get a tenants, mate? I'm not sure if I can smuggle that. Listen, mate, none of your bullshit. I just want a tenants. How fucking hard is it? <laughs> like, we will be closed within the first night. Guarantee it. I incident pint. within an hour. I just want a fucking pint. If, yeah and if Whoa. i can
2: put on my like snotty hat as well like i'm gonna bet quite a significant amount of money that the cocktails are gonna be fucking shite as well
1: well i mean if you bet 30 what is it 34.99 then you can go find out for us no 35.99 it's not even like a you know pretend it's not 35 quid it's 36 quid less a penny for reasons. Good, no?
2: Can reasons can i expense that on the pot account Nope. No. No. <laughs> Motherfuck you, I'm not going.
1: <laughs> you can expense it on a pod account if I can expense a PS5 for streaming purposes on the pod account. How's that?
2: <laughs> That's not the same value.
1: Well, I don't know. I don't know how big your drink budget is. Like, I mean, you well, might well to spend a PS5. Well. Like,
2: you have to, you have to, yeah, you, know,
1: you like, know, it adds up, doesn't it?
2: Hotels, it all adds up. You know, I'm not staying in anything under four stars, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah,
3: we know that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Right, okay. Um I think that'll do is there. So what we're gonna do here is this is this is your cut-off point now. Um if you if you don't wanna listen to a bit on mental health, which is absolutely fair enough. Um but we have an interview that's been pre-recorded that's conducted by Rob with Alistair and Alistair's partner Melina. So here we go. Enjoy
2: Hi and welcome to the introduction of this week's main segment of podcasting is Praxis. Uh, It's a kind of different thing we're doing today to introduce our main topic, uh, the state of mental health in in the UK. And we're very pleased to be joined by Melina. She's a mental health professional, uh, also a lived uh, experience expert, she has her own personal issues in this area, and she's comp- uh, a campaigner for better mental health services. And last but not least, she's also the partner of Alistair. So, Melina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
4: No problem at all. Pleasure to be here. I
2: wanted to get into some of your own experiences with mental health in, in the UK, but I wanted to sort of set the frame a little bit first. How do you think that mental health in general is is viewed by the broader society?
4: I think there's that- I mean, it's a big question that, but I think there's very much this idea that mental health is something that we talk about now because, you know, we've had so many campaigns and we've had so many people, you know, coming forward and actually talking about mental health um, to an extent. Um, My view is that there are a lot of mental health conditions that are still not discussed. There are lots of cultural issues and certain, you know, cultural groups will discuss mental health services more than others discuss mental health issues more than others I think that however it's kind of become this idea that we're really good at mental health we talk about mental health that's fantastic but the problem is when it actually comes to having a mental health problem or disability and you turn up to you know services to the NHS to try and get treatment that's where it all just seems to go dark and it becomes very difficult to get that treatment despite being told to reach out for it
3: a lot of things seem to get washed in, like, a sort of self-care, I don't know, just, you know, things are labelled, like, take care of yourself, and, uh, like, as as though once you take care of yourself in whatever abstract way that takes, Abstract yeah, So the
2: Guardian top five tips of mental health: one, do yoga; yep. two, don't drink alcohol before bedtime. That kind of thing.
4: Yeah, like these well-being tips, which you know that that's actually they're actually really good for people who maybe don't have severe mental health issues or actually just daily life. You know, like we all know that getting sleep is going to improve our well-being, but I think there's a very big difference between your well-being and your mental health.
2: Yeah. Uh,
4: so I think. Yeah, things like yoga and that. Yeah, okay, for some people that will improve their well-being. Mindfulness, some people that improve their well-being. But If you've got a severe and enduring mental health condition, mindfulness alone probably isn't going to do anything.
2: No, certainly not. You write, I think, very well on on your blog. And what I wanted to start with is this question of self-worth and how we construct self-worth in UK society. How does sort of what you see in the broader society and, and what society tells you how does that inform your own self-worth
4: this honestly is a is to me a really a really like big issue strong topic because a lot of our self-worth is kind of built up around yeah so it's kind of built up around your career and your ability to work and your ability to earn yeah For like you know when you're a child what, what do you get asked what do you want to be when you grow up it's you know what do you want to be when you grow up they mean what do you want to do to make money? Um, yeah it, it's very much it's focused on that isn't it and that's your whole school I mean the whole school system is focused on you going out and getting a job or going to uni getting a degree and getting a job it's all very much you know job focus which you know for people who have like a, a long-standing mental health conditions and disabilities that's really hard because you grow up knowing that your worth kind of comes from the work that you, you contribute yeah, um, and then you might not necessarily be able to work.
2: Yeah, so your um, your monetary contribution to yes. to UK society is what yes. determines your self worth.
3: I mean, we're not even yeah. out of the shadow of you know the strivers and skivers rhetoric of mm-hmm. you know the coalition and Cameron governments, which you know were horrendous for the interests of disabled people of all, you know of all stripes, not health and physically.
4: Yeah, I was I was saying like it's still that's still the same today. It's very much instilled in a lot of people from when we were growing up, you know. that you know, you don't you don't something my my mum actually would say is like you know you you go to work, you go to work, like it, you you never live off benefits. You always look after yourself. You go to work, and that's just what you do. Yeah, rugged and the way individualism. That are, basically, yeah, yeah, and the way that people who live off benefits are portrayed is like villain or demonized really
2: yeah because because they are not productive members of society i mean i i experienced yeah. only a small part of this myself as a cis white male but i switched my college degrees really sort of two-thirds into one degree and then made myself extremely miserable um and then switched into doing english literature and and the comment i got most not from like my friends or my direct family but from like the secondary you know aunts and uncles that kind of stuff was like but why would you change because you know your old degree would have brought you you know like you would have had a chance of a of a higher paying job essentially was the gist of it and when i tried to say well it made me terribly miserable that didn't seem sort of compute because it was you know oh but what are you going to do with an english literature degree and i you know proudly answers i'm going to be a podcaster when i go (laughs)
4: Well this is this is kinda of similar to like a lot of things that happened to me when I was younger because i always I always wanted to be a writer. It's something that I always enjoy doing. Um but I was very much discouraged because it was well you won't make money that way. Um I was also really into music. I was I was a very creative child and it was well, you always like are. that's yeah, <laughs> child. <laughs> <laughs> well I,
3: I like to think you've grown that's up concerning. since you're a child.
4: <laughs> I bloody hope so. But um... <laughs> but yeah you know like always discouraged from doing arts you know it was always you had to do something that was going to make you money and that was very much I mean I I I grew up in a very very Tory area of the country um I I grew up in rural Hampshire so like it was it was bad but it, it was always you know if you don't make money then you're kind of worthless yeah I feel like that wasn't even like the like the sub the subconscious message. That was the actual message that we were told.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's what I find interesting about it is is also from how that's transmitted to kids. Is is what you were saying about your mum and and teachers and other people is that when they say what do you want to be when you grow up, oh, should you do arts because you have to make money and look after yourself? Like they don't mean it like. It's usually quite well-meaning. It's never, in rare cases, it's negative, but it's this sort of generalized attitude that then, yeah, if you fall through the cracks, makes you feel even worse about yourself.
4: One thing for me that I I found really difficult as I've got older is uh, masking my condition in order to work. So I guess I'm what would be described as semi-functional. I mean, obviously, function is is decided by your ability to work only so I'm not sure I like that wording but I could be described as semi-functional I can hold down a job for quite some time uh actually be like you know not not to but actually be (laughs) not not to big myself up but be actually really good at my job throw myself into it properly uh and then I get ill because I've been masking all my symptoms for so long that I get horrendous burnout um and I and I just drop out of the job or um end up going off sick and lose my job so
2: yeah i was wondering about that sort of as a side note but i I read this you you wrote a little bit about it on one of your blog posts can employers actually fire you at some point for having mental illness and, and burning out or stop paying you like can they actually dismiss you for mental health reasons i mean that sounded just appalling to me but
3: the answer to that is they'll certainly try
4: yeah so if you're not part of a union they will try and most likely succeed. Um, obviously, if you've not been part of the job for very long, uh, so for example, you work for the NHS for under a year. If you go sick for more than four weeks, you don't get paid. Um, so obviously, it, and you know that's better than most jobs because usually you you know you wouldn't get paid at all at that point. But the NHS will pay you for up to four weeks, but of course after that, you know that's it your your income just drops and if you're you know having to pay high rents and things it's just 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 you're not going to be able to afford to do it really and you're going to probably be dragged back and then of course when they when they take you back in um they don't they're not flexible Um, And this is not just the NHS, this is all employers that I've been involved with. They're not flexible, so they claim to have flexible working. But, for example, something that I asked when I uh, worked at my old job was to um, go on to nights, because nights for me would be less stressful, and I could manage them better because they were in a block. And their answer to me was, well, no, you can't go on nights. And I was like, well, why not? And they were like, well, because if everybody wanted to go on nights, then we'd have no one to work the day shift. And that was just their excuse, even though they knew I had, you know, a mental health condition and disability.
2: Sorry, that's yeah. also just a bizarre answer because like uh, unless you staff your entire hospital with vampires, like you're not going <laughs> to like not everybody's going to want to do nights. That's I mean, I, my sister is a is a medical professional as well. I mean, mm-hmm. and I know how she feels about doing a number of nights in a row. And like that's generally not something most people would voluntarily offer to do in the first place.
4: Yeah, like there were there were colleagues that I worked with that were asking to do only days. Yeah. And they were being refused. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's another one of those things that um, I mean, you only really got an answer to the question of could you actually work nights, uh, you know, in order to fac- like to facilitate uh, ac- like accommodations for your for your health uh, after you yeah. spoke to the union.
4: Yeah, and the union turned around; and they were like, "Yeah, of course you can. Why not?" And so obviously, it was like, "Wow, okay." So if if you're not part of a, a, a union, I really think that you're going to really struggle, especially if you've got, a, you know, a disability. Yeah,
3: Hot take from I Melina, mean,
2: join a union. Yeah, great yeah. tip from this podcast. Join them early, join them often.
4: Please, honestly do it.
2: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about how, you know, as with your own lived experience of mental health, um, is the NHS really any good at treating mental health at the moment?
4: <laughs> I try not to laugh. <laughs> My answer's going to be No. But obviously, I'm coming from a position of so i I would be described as having complex needs i i I don't mind saying I have borderline personality disorder so it's it's not a simple illness you know it's severe it's tends to be lifelong and if you don't get the right treatment for it, you're not going to get better um so it's something that requires intense therapy
1: um
4: yeah. which is something that is very hard to get um
1: increasingly for an example,
4: so. yeah increasingly and and, and ex, an example of this is is my way of me being put on the waiting list for something called dbt which is the the, the main treatment for borderline it is not disorder. dick and
3: ball torture listener
2: before you ask.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> though we don't judge no. you we don't judge you as a person if it helps Fine. yeah please don't Fine. kink
4: shame No, but basically, um, I waited for this therapy for six years. Um, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, like, it's not normal waiting times. Um, It kind of occurred because, yeah, so I moved from Hampshire to Essex, and nobody had told me at the time that actually Essex didn't offer DBT um, to people that weren't inpatient at the time.
2: Sorry, just just, to, just for my own clarification, inpatient mm-hmm. is...
4: Yeah, so if you are an inpatient, it means that you are in hospital. Um, and this is only for people that are in hospital at long term okay. at the time. So you couldn't get it in the community, basically.
2: Okay, you, um, c- you couldn't live your own life and just have DBT therapy and be yourself you not really in the, to be yeah not in, in
4: our area yeah. physically
2: in a hospital for the whole duration of the therapy that's right like that.
4: yes um and of course you would have to be actually admitted to hospital which is something that um people with BPD often struggle with because they can't they're just not allowed so you can turn up to A&E and say that you're suicidal and that you're you know you have plans to commit suicide and they just kind of go no you don't and send you home so, it's very hard to be, um, hospitalized even for treatment, um, which is, 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 i guess a different experience than a then some other mental health issues um if you've got complex needs um sorry i'm going a bit off topic where are no were no we? it's fine
2: don't worry about it now we're we're uh, all
3: about the um going off piece on this podcast yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: as i said i was reading
2: your your blog a bit mm-hmm. what is a bradford scale and why does that matter when
4: you're going through Oh, treatment? the bradford score the bradford score it's it is cursed and actually um as of last year the nhs has actually sacked this off
3: i think you you only found this out because of the union as well didn't you i only
4: found this out because of the union so the bradford score is a system where they monitor your sickness um it works by combining your episodes of sickness with the number of days that you take in each episode um and that will basically give you a score. So if you have, like, three separate episodes lasting one day each, you have a higher score than if you took the three days off together. Um, so, you know, it actually sounds like this isn't, you know, like this isn't too bad to begin with maybe. Like, you know, like, oh, it's because of people taking sick days off for no reason. But obviously if you've got a disability, it's quite often that you will have to take a sick day Um And what people will have to resort to doing is taking chunks of time off in order to not get fired or not so that it doesn't trigger a uh, like a sickness review.
2: Okay, so if you accumulate enough Bradford points on your NHS card, you get a sickness review or something.
4: Yeah, so there'd be a sickness review at so many points, then a stage two at the next so many points, and blah, blah, blah. So it was just a way of monitoring sickness.
2: Um, I, I'm, I'm also assuming that you want as few points on this Bradford scale as yeah. possible, because the review processes are not where you want to end up as, as any st-
3: Person. yeah the Bradford score is a lot like golf
4: <laughs> also it's something that so um, if you work as a support worker in the NHS you receive supervision once a month which actually is one of the good things about it however <laughs> if you have a Bradford score higher than 300 which is, is not a lot of time uh, they will bring this up every single time you have a supervision they have to tell you your Bradford score in that supervision and they bring it up every single time so basically,
3: do they want to like it's kind of? Do, do they want to like bring up your weight as well while they're at it, and like you know your uniform and how you've not been dressing appropriately? And
4: <laughs> I mean, they probably would, but <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's something that the NHS has got rid of, but it's they're still actually using it to threaten people and basically be like, oh, your Bradford score is over this certain amount, even though they're not actually using it anymore officially.
2: All right. I just, I just, I mean, I have two more questions in this. The other one is, who or what is a crisis resolution team? Because I just, like I said, I was reading your your blog. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, of course. So, um, crisis resolution, um, what they're supposed to do is when you turn up at Ane because you're suicidal or self-harming, or alternatively, if you are calling um, something called a crisis line, um, which is something you can call from home if you're having those sorts of feelings. Um, and urges Um, and what they do is they will kind of talk to you and the idea is that they're meant to talk to you and kind of assess you um, see whether you need to have any more kind of like input from either them or from like hospital services or whether they can just kind of discharge you back to your GP and you can just be left which in theory works if you have a crisis resolution team who are trained properly to assess people with complex needs which <laughs> I'm going to be honest there is not it doesn't exist uh the amount of times I called the crisis team and like I said like you, you say I- I'm feeling really suicidal I'm feeling like really like I might do something to myself and they kind of just go well have you considered taking a bath or have you had a cup of tea and it's it's just,
2: this is this is the, we're back to the Guardian Wellness page. Yes,
4: yes, it's this same vibe where it's like, well, have you had a cup of tea? And I think I don't know if you've heard the story, but
3: uh, I've definitely t- I've definitely told this before.
4: <laughs> have you told it on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I
3: have. <laughs>
4: you... Okay, but yeah, the pretend just pretend you have a bath. Oh, that um,
3: <laughs> yeah, that's <was> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. but like if
4: you go on, like if you go on, I I know. Probably not all of you guys uh, have access or or like use TikTok, but there's quite a big community of people with uh, BPD on TikTok um, and their experience is universal of the crisis team, always being told these things. Um, Yeah, it's, it's something that the crisis team were once told that might help people. But the thing is, these things help people when you're lower down. So like you're not at the crisis point. You're just not feeling that great and it's ways of distracting yourself. But when someone is at crisis point, all of this information is completely useless. Um, I mean, I I, I teach um, uh, like complex needs awareness to NHS staff. And um, this is something that we always say to them, like, please stop suggesting people to have cups of teas and baths. Because when your mind is in a crisis point, you know, you've got all your adrenaline, and your cortisol running, You ha- you cannot make these. Like sort of decisions to do these things when your mind is overwhelmed with the crisis. Um, yeah. but they no, just I mean, haven't yeah. picked yeah.
2: this up. The, the, the acute crisis point is probably not where people are in sort of a fit state to to run a bath and put some lavender candles on. Or I mean, absolutely not.
3: <laughs> when when Melina's had crises in the past, and you know I've been there. There, even if I ran a bath for her and got
2: her in the bath, it it's too late probably at that point. Yeah, yeah.
4: I wouldn't get in it. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, so is, um, is this something you, you've you seen a lot, Melina, in like your own experience that, that even mental health professionals within the US get a lot of things wrong when they're treating people with sort of... I assume you mean the UK I know, there, gro- Rob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, with sort of longer term, I, I don't know, chronic, I don't know if that's the word, mental health issues.
4: Yeah. So, sorry, can you ask the question again, Rob? Because I got distracted by us. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs>
2: it's, it's fine. I, yeah, that happens frequently to the best of us. Um <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, I mean, you were talking about how when even when you're talking to the crisis resolution team, they have this sort of, oh, you take a bath thing. Is, there, is this something that you've experienced a lot that even like NHS professionals, even sometimes on the mental health side, they get this stuff wrong when they're treating people with, I don't know if chronic oh, yeah. is the right word, but with serious yeah, mental yeah. health so, issues?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, the, I guess the wording that we've started using now is complex needs. Um, so, like I said, I deliver this training and the reason that this training has actually come about is because mental health professionals had absolutely no idea how to deal with people with personality disorders and complex needs um, because it's not simple. You can't just give someone like a, you know, you you can't treat it with just medication. You can't treat it with just CBT or um, some other talking therapies that are more you know, more available Um, and kind of all the skills that these professionals have learned in their role doesn't really teach you to deal with complex needs. Um, So what happens is professionals become really frustrated with their service users and patients because everything they do doesn't seem to work. And so unfortunately, they kind of tar these patients with this brush of, you know, um, you're not treatable. I can't do anything for you. You're using services and it's costing money, and it's not helping you. Alternatively, things like uh, another thing is like your attention seeking, uh, which is a yeah, like you're doing it out of spite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the amount of times that you know I've been taken to A and E by either. Either by my mum or by Alistair, and the way that we've been treated there as soon as they know my diagnosis is absolutely outrageous. And this has been in in hospital stays as well. This has been in like community mental health teams um, and, like I said, crisis resolution. So it's it's across the board that this is this is the way that people with complex needs are treated.
2: It, I mean, it sounds a bit like. Sometimes the answer, even from professionals, is you should just pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps.
4: Yes. Yeah, exactly that. I, I, and to be honest, like most people who, you know, have got complex needs have been told this their whole lives by their parents. Because we very much have this a vibe in this country of like, you you know, you just deal with it. You don't tell people how to deal with it, but you just deal with it. Yeah. And And that was kind of the thing it was it was that you don't let yourself cry in public, you don't show your emotions, you don't do any of this so of course, when I was you know growing up and I was coming out with all these emotions and unable to kind of control them, I was just told put up and shut up basically and you know like my 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 parents you know my, my mom's great now, but she didn't have a clue um and and she she'll admit that herself like she didn't have a clue how to deal how to deal with a child like me.
2: This sort of lack of of training and lack of personalised attention, is this systemic throughout the NHS, you think?
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is, there is an improvement coming out of some of the London trusts um, as they've realised that what they're doing isn't working. So, you know, the people that they would be you know the complex needs people that they're treating keep coming back and they couldn't understand why these people keep coming back and it's because you know the systems failed them and the treatment isn't available but this is kind of this is an idea that's kind of coming out of london very slowly but these are the london Trusts; they get a lot of funding i do not see this improving in the uk as a whole for a very long time if at all um I I'm I'm actually of the idea that things are going to decline. Um because yes, because what the NHS has done is they've a lot of their services are now charity services. So for example, um whenever I go to like if I go to A and E or if I go to my doctors and, you know, talk about my feelings, they'll basically ask me to bring Samaritans. So, um the Samaritans have taken over as part of the service. Um mind um, are running a lot of our crisis services now. I mean, they're a lot better if you can get to mind. But these are charities. Um, and what's happened is there's an organisation called Time to Change. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but they're an organisation committed to uh, like removing mental health stigma. And they just lost their funding as of March. Um, and I feel... It's a thing to come. That it's it, it's a sign of things to come that the, that basically government funding is going to be pulled from the charities, and because all the charities are you know running parts of the NHS that the NHS can't handle themselves, it, it, the whole thing's just going to collapse in on itself.
3: I mean, this is this is the ulti- ultimately the outcome of you know it's purposeful yeah. go- government government management mismanagement. however you want yes. to in, it, NHS phrase that?
2: Have been going on for what a decade now, maybe well, more. Uh...
4: More
3: than yeah, that well, yeah. over a decade now. I mean I mean yeah. there was more fun there was a bit more funding under Blair but you know, um nothing nothing that
2: wasn't reversible. Yeah. yeah. So as as a result of your experiences as a as someone who, who has uh, mental health issues, you ended up writing a formal letter of complaint to, to the NHS and did that make things better in the end or like what was that process like for for you to sort of put your thoughts on paper and then whether or not you got results out of that.
4: Yeah, so that was actually a really difficult thing that I had to do. I mean, I've I've always like as I'd grown up been quite fond of the NHS. Um I'd done some training as a mental health nurse. I'd done lots of placements with them. So for me I kind of felt like, oh I really don't want to do this. But actually it was an essential process. So this is part of what happened when I moved from Hampshire to Essex. Um it I have never experienced such fuckery (laughs) ever Um, Um, because basically I'd moved, um, I'd said that I was moving um, Hampshire, like... um, so ethics requested documents from hampshire because the nhs system isn't linked up properly so um there's different like electronic systems in each county and uh, in <gasps> certain areas i love
3: that the fact <laughs> that this is the result of the uh, internal market of the nhs yes, because they have to have it is, yeah. stupid yeah, different i read this on your yeah. blog
2: are, are the different nhs trusts just like totally separate islands of bullshit yes. because I, it just, yeah. just, it, <laughs> it drove me insane and i just read like your blog post i can't imagine what it's like to actually have to deal with this shit
4: yeah, yeah. So, like, even, like, moving, like, two hours, not even two hours down the road, like, a hu- one hour and a half down other the road, Other side of London, right? basically. Other side of London ha- meant that they needed to request documents from one trust to the other, which is fine, right? That's fine. You can, I mean, it could have been avoided by it being linked up, as it should be. But, you know, fine. But my, so basically what happened is the GP refused to give me any kind of referral to mental health services until my notes had been sent over um which i'm like okay let's get the notes sent over then hampshire just did not comply whatsoever um i'm not sure what the reason was um i feel like essex didn't try hard enough either to get the notes um and basically it resulted in what we found out my notes being lost um yeah just just completely falling into a void didn't, wherever that was
3: didn't the person in charge of the um Hampshire trust end up having to resign like yes uh, <laughs> they
4: they resigned uh about 3 4 months after that had happened um so when I wrote a, com- so I wrote a complaint to Essex and Hampshire, because basically I'd been living in Essex for six months and I still hadn't been transferred to any mental health services despite having had um, an A and E, a few A and E admissions. Um, because it's, just of, obscene. Uh, yeah. it's
2: disgusting. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sorry Yeah, so, like, like it was
4: outrageous. Like I honestly couldn't believe it myself because it, it just really and i i think i remember like even like alastair begging people at one point like to get this sorted out because i was so unwell like, i was so ill and and i didn't even have the option of going back to stay with my mum because i was no longer on their books so i was in this kind limbo. of like limbo yeah. land yeah um and i i remember specifically um like this is i, I don't mind talking about this but obviously not everyone might want to listen to this but um i i had a i took an overdose um during this time because I hadn't been able to get any help and I just couldn't see that I was going to get any better or that anything was going to improve and when the um paramedics kind of came to see me uh to kind of take me to A&E Alastair explained like what happened and the paramedic kind of off kind of said like oh well that's not any way to get seen no is it and I just remember that offhand mm. comment like out of my mind just hearing this comment just like that like this system, like it's just no empathy, no compassion for people that you know have these needs.
3: As again, it and, comes around yeah. to as though you're doing it out of spite, as though you're doing it to specifically annoy, like, like to be an irritant yeah. to the NHS. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> when it should be the NHS that serves responsibilities you.
2: Responsibilities to broader society. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah.
4: Exactly. I mean, I was working at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like. On skiving off my this is the thing this idea that people are I was no I was working and yeah. I'd still you know I couldn't hold my life together
3: so but mainly
4: because you know but, so because of this I I ended up writing a complaint because it was the only way that I was going to get any treatment and, and actually that complaint is what led to me actually the the you know an apology being issued by the CEO of you know my our trust no yeah it was and someone trust, actually doing yeah and someone actually doing so Hampshire never actually replied to even uh confirm that they got my like got my complaint um but they like i said they they went they were in big big trouble over that and they messed up some things really badly
2: but just i mean just in case there are any listeners who feel that they've been treated similar you you wrote it down and then you just put it on on, in an envelope to the NHS trust or is there like a a, i don't know an inspectorate general or like who do you
4: Uh
2: how do you get in touch with to do this properly That it doesn't get shoveled in a big bin, essentially. Yes.
4: I would advise one of two things. So um, if in your area you have something called PALS, this is patient advice and liaison services. Most NHS trusts should have this service. Um, It is a way in which you can... Uh, make complaints you can request to see your own notes if you need those they can't deny you your own medical notes if you want to see your records um if you don't have the service in your area for whatever reason you i i I believe i may have contacted the ceo written to the ceo directly um but obviously i think if one doesn't work try the other um you need to be persistent and also get some support from you know loved ones because it's very stressful to write out exactly what's happened. You know, try try and make notes and times if you can, dates if you can, of when you tried to action things, um, just so you back yourself up. Um, but they do usually they do usually respond, uh, I, especially if you threaten going to your MP. Yeah, I do.
3: <laughs> I do want to just say though, it is uh, very reminiscent of the way. Uh, the benefit system was run which is you put up as many barriers as like you know like at each point in each step in the uh process of getting the actual care that you need from the NHS for you know particularly if it's a complex need more and more people like give up or you know are just unable to continue with the process and that is to my mind just you know it's social murder which we have been hammered a lot of
2: lately it seems yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean but fortunately from from what you've said the end result in your case was uh, oh. you know <laughs> that you could start treatment and that you know that your outcome yeah. horrible though this process was was at least pro-
4: positive eventually yeah. yeah eventually and i mean like like i probably said before we i we have had to fight the entire way you know i couldn't just stop at the, it 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 got my notes sorted it got me put onto a community team for some time but i for my actual treatment which is i think now the main recommended treatment for my disorder the availability is next to none um and so I constantly fought for it. Constantly, constantly, constantly. And and just another point to people, take somebody with you um, to every appointment that you can because I've noticed the way that I'm treated when I go on my own and the way that I'm treated when I go with Alistair, my partner, is completely different.
3: Yeah, so just for reference, I am a cis white man and Melina is you know she's a mixed race woman with a mental health issue and it's just insane the difference Uh, the difference is when i'm there and i'm not the way that
4: i'm treated i mean yeah i mean sometimes when you've been there they have shown their true colors as well but i feel like they're more likely to listen to you disgustingly so take somebody with you
2: (laughs) i want to say that there are no positives in this story i think there are some but you've got to look for them very hard um i just want i'm conscious of the time so melina thank you so much for talking to us about your own experience uh, both as someone with mental health issues but also as a professional in the field um if people want to read more learn more where can they find you and what would you recommend
4: yeah so you can find me um my twitter handle is at out of darkness 4 I write a lot about my experiences, uh, specifically with personality disorder, on my blog, which I'll put a link to, we'll put a link to below, but it's out of darkness into the empty.blogspot.com, which is pretty long, so I'll put it at the end. But yeah, I just, I just want to say, you know, it, with regards to mental health in the UK, and, you know, we really need to fight the government and what they're doing all the way with this, because if we don't, we're going to lose. We're going to lose free NHS services to mental health um, eventually. And I just don't want to state like America where state mental health is the yeah the lowest of the low. So stick together, guys.
2: All right. Melina, once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And with that, I'm going to throw everybody back to our regular crew. So you'll meet me and Alistair on the other hand, but not Melina. Bye.
4: <laughs> Cheers. Bye.
0: Alright, and we are back. That that was that was a good interview,
1: I thought. Yeah, it was interesting. A Very lot interesting. of that
0: definitely gels with my kind of experience. Um, not so much as someone um like actually requiring the help but as someone with someone. Um a lot of that was pretty much the same um in Scotland as well. It's really not that far different at all. Um well, James, I, can... I think you had some yeah. stuff to, to mention on that.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you say that because. So, um, I decided I was going to be open about this with everyone. Um, some years ago, I had major clinical depression. Um, it was a, a real big problem for me in my early 20s, like from age so, uh, 19, 20 onwards, through till about 26. Um, and I've been shy of it for a long while, and I'm doing well these days, um, though, more on that at the end. Um, but at the time, you know, it was pretty bad. And it, it's interesting to see how. Bluntly, it seems to me, the, the mental health services of Scotland and of the UK generally have declined in this period. Um, which shouldn't be a surprise, because obviously, you know, the although the budgets increase year on year, they increase generally by amount far less than inflation. So in real time, yeah. there's a cut. Um, so there's always less to go around. But my experience was, uh, well, I'm going to tell you what my experience was like. Because if nothing else, I hope that if there's someone listening to this... Who finds themselves in a similar position it at least gives them some some understanding that you know there there is a way forward out of this kind of stuff. Um, so without wanting to get super heavy about it, around about age nineteen, um, a whole bunch of issues in my life all caught up with me at once. Um,
3: um sorry, sorry to interrupt you, James, but uh, can you tell us sort of roughly what year this was? Because I think that the set the political scene for for this
1: going down yeah, would be yeah, helpful. It can actually. Um, as I, as I do the math really quickly. In my, uh, yeah, it was. It was 2004 this, uh, uh-huh. this more or less took place. And so 2004 till about 2010, 2011, essentially, um, was when I was mainly kind of receiving treatment. Um, so in 2004, I I really had my first major depressive episode. Like, as it turns out, later I would discover that I'd actually been depressed Pretty much all of my life, starting from about age seven onwards, because my mother died when I was 11. She died from cancer and my family were not the best at dealing with things. Um, and we'll just we'll, we'll gloss over that happy point. But the point was that I came with depression, but I was a I was a high functioning depressive. Um, I was able to do a lot of the, the things that were expected of me. And where my performance was obviously degraded, um, you know, it kind of was... It was just taken in stride as being, oh, that's just how James is, essentially, and no one really gave it much thought beyond it. Things came to a head for um, around about Christmas time, twenty nineteen into twenty twenty. No, what am I saying? Excuse me. Things came to a head for around about uh, Christmas two thousand and four into two thousand and five, um, when I actually became suicidal. Like, really, was a danger to myself. And I didn't want to be a danger to myself. This is a thing. Like, I felt I was in danger of doing harm to myself from being overwhelmed. Um, and I thought, I don't, I don't actually want this. I don't want to hurt myself. But the way things are going, I think if, if this night goes on, I'm going to end up in a place where I feel like I will. And I was scared of myself. It's a very, very weird situation to be in, where you're afraid that you're going to lose control and, uh, over your own faculties and hurt yourself as a consequence. And so I reached out to family and I got taken up to the local hospital which as luck would have it, at that time, I don't know if they still do, had a mental health ward. Um, so I went up, was assessed by the out of hours kinda emergency kinda, you know, um, nurses and doctors, um, who asked me all the relevant questions. And at that time, unlike today, there was actually resources to admit me. And what they basically said to me, um, is that listen, you're not being sectioned because you've shown up here of your own you know, recognizance, and you you clearly recognize you need help. So you're not sectioned, none of that stuff. However, if you if you change your mind and try to leave before we've given you appropriate treatment, we are going to section you. And I was like, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> That's always
3: know. a fun conversation to have, isn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you're not a prisoner as long as you don't try to walk out the door. But it's fine. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I wanted i wanted to be there because I, I actually genuinely wanted help. I recognized that I wasn't in a place that a person should be in. And I needed yeah. to get sorted and so i was admitted to a mental health ward uh where i spent 3 days on it um and that was uh that was a very interesting experience because it was just like a regular ward on a hospital the only difference was that it was gender segregated unlike many of them in the hospital at the time i know like co-gender wards are a thing increasingly these days um and in addition the uh the doors locked you know you couldn't just wander out of it you needed to be accompanied by a nurse if you wanted to go do anything uh, outside Um, I think I left Ward once to go down to the local kind of shop to pick up some, like, Iron Brew, I think it was. You'll be pleased to hear David back when they had the real recipe. Yeah, Um, the good shit. Yeah, the good shit. But um, I was accompanied by a nurse who basically just took it as a jolly because she's like, oh, I want to go to the cafe anyway. So, and she actually just let me wander off because I think she pretty much clocked that I wasn't, you know, a danger or anything to myself at that point. Um, Because the crisis moment had kind of passed. But basically they held me in until I could get a proper consultation with a um, psychiatrist basically and my experiences on that were very it, it was very interesting the nurses were all very nice in a slightly keep sharp objects away from them kind of way which is fair enough given the circumstances um and they, it was it was very strange they uh they offered me drugs pretty much right away they're like listen would you like something to to make yourself kind of just take the edge off things make yourself feel better and i'm like well no i don't want to i don't want to take anything basically so they uh, told
3: the guy in the trench coat to just leave the ward then
1: yeah basically yeah but um you know they they were they were basically like offering you know pretty fairly heavy duty uh you know medication to blitz me out of my mind if I wanted and I didn't take it initially but on day 2 um I did see the psychiatrist and this was my first exposure to what bad mental health professionals can be like because here's the thing like any job you get people who are good at a job and should be there and you get people who are bad at their job and clearly have a lot to learn. I saw the junior psychiatrist who was obviously in training on the ward and he listened to my problems and, you know, I talked through where I was at, etc. And he was very cold, very dismissive and said, well, it just sounds to me like you, uh, you know, have problems, coping skills, emotional coping skills. So nothing, you know, no, nothing important, we don't need to keep you on the ward, you should be sent home. Just very kind of, not how you talk to someone who's actually in an existential crisis, funnily enough. Yeah,
3: Melina's Malina, uh, experiences of lack of, and you know, talking about lack of compassion uh, is uh, resounding with me quite a lot right now while you're mentioning this. Yeah, I it's... mean, like,
0: just, uh, if I can just chime in here, um, I've had experience being with someone who was after... <sighs> Three years finally given, a, a, not so much an assessment, but like an interview to see whether or not um, further treatment would be given outside of the usual rotating, heel six mm. sessions of CBT, and then we tell you to fuck off. Aye. And a social worker conducted that, and off the back of that, decided, nah, you don't need any more treatment. A social worker. Like someone yeah, no, not even fucking trained And that's the state of it now.
1: I know, right? At least back then it was conducted by mental health professionals. I'll say at least that, even if they were a bit shy. Um, mm. So obviously, like you know, at the time, like I am, I'm just barely like a day shy of being suicidal. And so hearing this, basically hearing, listen, there's not really anything wrong with you, just absolutely crushed me. So I did go back on the ward. And I did say, actually, you know what? Can I have some of those drugs, please? I just, I don't, I can't deal with where I am right now. And I'm pretty sure they gave me some kind of like heavy duty antipsychotic or something because all I remember from that entire afternoon is lying in like a golden haze as the nurses like in like clean or cleaner i can't remember exactly who it was i think it was a nurse was in cleaning up on the ward, preparing for a new person to come in and i just was lying there and i just said i feel great <laughs> <laughs> i am never taking these drugs again and the nurse just <laughs> bursting out laughing uh as, as she overhears me saying that um and yeah then you know i came to like later that evening just feeling like i was absolutely fucked like i'd been on david's coding basically um <laughs> sorry man but yeah so so that was my like initial kind of experience i did explain that i was very upset and that i felt like i hadn't been properly heard and off the back of this the senior consultant spoke to me the next day and this guy was actually good. And he said, no, nah, listen, right, that guy's here on training and he doesn't really quite get bedside manner." And I was like, okay, so it's not just me. He's like, like listen, when he's talking about coping skills, um, first of all, I think he's slightly wrong on that one. I mean, it is true. Everyone needs better coping skills on mental health. And he was just, he was much nicer about it. And he outlined mm-hmm. that essentially, in his opinion, I needed to go on an antidepressant and that would possibly be sufficient to get me over the current bout I was in. And then longer term, I could look at getting some Better help. Right. Yeah. And so off the back of that, I was prescribed, I think it was um, which is a pretty light introduction to antidepressants as far as it goes. But, um, you, you know, in that interview, you were talking about the, the social element of worth in society. Right. Because this is not where my story ends. I didn't go on antidepressants. Everything was fine. What happened is I came home from that and I told my family, listen, I need to withdraw from university for the rest of the year. I can't do this while I'm like this. I need to focus on my mental health. I didn't put it to, uh, across as cleanly as that because obviously I was a bit of a mess at the time and a far less experienced person. But that's more or less what I said to them. My family's response for was to say, well, we'll let you withdraw from university, but we can't have you be a waster. We can't just have you doss around doing nothing. So you need to go get a job. You need to get a job. They insisted you know that what? I go out and find work, and uh, I've got to
3: say, I've got to say, James, that is like that is the exact same experience that Melina had. Mm. She had to stop university for a year, and uh, and she won't mind me saying this. Her mum was like, "No, you have to, you have to go and go and work." Yeah, and it's just <laughs> it,
1: it was it was absolute garbage. It was awful. Um, I ended up working in a bowling alley. Um, oh my God! <laughs> yes. I was the, the guy at the time because, you know, I hadn't realized it was non-binary then. Another reason potentially relating to mental health issues. Um, living is the wrong gender. Anyway, um, so I was like the, the shoe person. You know, you get the pair of shoes when you go in. That was me. I was the one who was taking the shoes, spraying the shoes to clean them, handing them out to people. And then just generally doing general housekeeping. And it was fucking awful. Generally, just a genuinely garbage experience. Um, and the bowling alley was mostly... Um, like, you get families in during the day, and it's like, okay, that's cool, but then the people who came around the evening were all either the pool, the people in the pool league, um, who were alright, or hardcore alcoholics and Neds, basically, in the evening. And when I say Neds, I don't mean this in, like, the dismissive kind of way, like, you know, Owen Jones, Chav style kind of thing. I mean, genuinely, like, you know, the number of things that got smashed or fucked up on a given night was actually pretty extraordinary. And to give you an idea what management was like in the place, um, we were just around the corner from a local taxi firm, which is still in existence. And we got straight up told, listen, some of the drivers come in here for drinks before they go on shift. If any of you report this, then you're fired. So, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah, great, great place. Um, oh. need- needless to say, surprisingly, my antidepressants stopped working within like a few weeks of starting work funny, there. Man. Yeah, funny how that works. And I ended up being put on a much higher... Antidepressant, uh, much harder, I should say, antidepressant, um, an SNRI. That's a selective. Um, noradrenergic. It? Ser- yeah, it's a sorry serotonin nonadrenine noradrenergic something like that. Um, reuptake inhibitor. Um, not not it, pretty pretty heavy duty stuff. Uh, it was called um, Effexor or Venlafaxine for anyone. Venlafaxine. Who yeah, mm-hmm. that's. Uh, I've, I've
3: got a <laughs> I've got a laundry list of antidepressants that haven't worked for. Um... My time—the The time I've been with Melina and it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's extensive.
1: <laughs> so um, it, was a, it was a pretty heavy duty thing. Now, there's a lot of things I learned in retrospect of being on venlafaxine because it worked, right? It did actually make me, my mood was not brilliant, but a bit better whilst I was on it. Um, I did have to go on a very high dose, but who cares, right? It got me back to university and got me through university by the skin of my teeth. So it's all good, right? Except it was my GP at the time, who I will not name for reasons that will become apparent in a minute. My GP was the one who, who prescribed the change, according to the guidance, etc. It was like, okay. um, I went on it, and I stayed on it for years, right through till... It must have been 2009, 2010 sort of style, right? And uh, during that period, I don't really remember anything. I don't really remember anything. Like, I, I've got gaps in my memory which are pronounced from those years Mm -hmm. and partly like partly that's because just you know as an aside i have congenital sleep apnea i only started getting treated last year and so i spent my entire life up to this point sleep deprived might also be related to reasons for being tired etc and low mood. um but you know it also turns out that there is a there is a caveat to the use of effects or there's two caveats first one is you're not meant to be on it for longer than six months at a time oops the second one, <laughs> the second one is the higher doses are meant to be administered under an inpatient basis, i.e., when you're on a a, a ward in a hospital being monitored. Oops, I was on the highest dose you can prescribe for it for years, and it turns out there is an off-label side effect which doesn't show up unless you're on on it for a prolonged period. Want to guess what that side effect is?
3: I know the la- the laundry list of side effects these kinds of drugs can have, so I'm not even going to try and guess. Memory loss ah
1: uh. that's <laughs> why I don't remember much from that period and here's how I found out like, here's the thing the thing about memory loss is when you're subjectively in it you're so blitzed that you don't realize oh shit this is a thing and I realized when I stood for election for a local society and I was going to stand for election and I said oh why haven't I stood before because I should address that in my speech I don't know I'll just I'll, I'll lampshade it and move on and so I stood up to give my speech and said well I know I've not stood before and then everyone in the room looks at each other someone sticks their hand up and says James you've stood the past three years in a row <laughs> Fuck! Jesus. i then had to i then had to finish out that speech whilst yeah. having an existential crisis go home figure out well what else don't mm. i remember and that's when i realized i had such a glaring memory problem because again i was i was really heavy duty off the back of that um so i did research and discovered oh shit it's for it's for the antidepressants i'm taking and right there and then i made the decision i was going to come off them and i had to pursue some kind of other treatment So welcome to round two of engaging with the NHS when it comes to getting healthcare treatment. And this is like, you know, only a few years later. Um, So I'm thinking, right, well, I'll probably be able to get to see someone. So go talk to my doctor. No, waiting list. All right, well, how long's the waiting list to get some kind of talk therapy? Nine months. Well, I guess you better put me on it then. So nine months later, I get my first sessions of CBT. Because by this point, they've shifted. And now CBT is all the rage. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Sadly, not the cock and ball torture that I was thinking of. (laughs) um
3: (laughs) nor the dick and ball torture that we discussed earlier
1: (laughs) so i i I get in for cbt sessions and fair play the the nurse who was administering it like we got to the second session and he said listen i can tell you're trying really hard but this obviously isn't suited for you or working for you it's much more like it requires an awareness of what you've got going on and all your stuff is pretty clearly buried deep and probably related to your deafier mum so you need psychotherapy you need someone to help get deep down into that and i'm like Okay, great. So, do I get like sent across? I like, no, I need to go back to your doctor and get on the waiting list. Yep. So fuck's sake. So I go back to my doctor. I'm like, right, listen. I've been told that CBT yeah. is not an appropriate therapeutic intervention. It's not going to work for me. I need you know psychotherapy to try and get under the lid of this, so to speak. And the doctor's like, okay. Ah, but
0: have you tried the CBT three times?
1: Well, i heard about that. Have you
2: tried a warm bath and a cup of tea, James? Maybe that'll sort
1: (laughs) So I'll give credit to my doctor. She did fuck me up with those antidepressants accidentally, right? And obviously it was just like, you know, incompetence, malpractice rather than intentional. And I made the decision a long time ago not to pursue anything about that because she was genuinely excellent in every other way. Um, But I'll give her credit. She always took my problems seriously and did try to address them. It's just that, obviously, as a general practitioner, she shouldn't have been the one addressing them but that what you're going to yep. do when the service is underfunded okay. so yep. she she told me look it's nine months i'll put you right back on it i'll write a letter to the local service provider trying to get you bumped up but i'm expecting no luck on this
2: can i and ask so, something at
1: this point yeah no go on, genuinely
2: go on baffled me as well when when we were talking with uh melina earlier like what the fuck is up with these waiting lists i mean it, it, it does does the uk not train any psychologists and psychotherapists is it just a fun... I mean, I'm I'm assuming the answer is money, because it always fucking it's, is. It's but, money.
1: It's money, right. So yeah, it I, trains I, them, it just doesn't hire them. Yeah, so, like, I have I have learned quite a lot about this since being through all this experience, and the long and short of it is the mental health industry in, Unite, in the United Kingdom is largely privatized.
2: Okay, yep. there we go. Like, that is, right.
1: That's the simple truth of it. Like, we pretend otherwise, but, like, as my story and other stories of most people I know who've managed to get treatment have shown it's pretty much de facto privatized if you yeah. have the money to afford it you can't bluntly so yeah, um, i mean
3: melina was waiting for six years for her therapy like that's i mean yeah. that, that was dbt which is to be fair more specialized than cbt yes but uh, that is not particularly surprising
1: yeah like back back when i was doing this it was a 9 month waiting list i i know it's gotten a lot worse and service provisions have been cut a lot more especially as i've helped friends in later years to go through the same system and i've been routinely like at first surprised and appalled and then just like not surprised and appalled and disappointed by the the way the this, this, this service has deteriorated over time to finish off my story so obviously i get told it's not another 9 months and i'm like look i can't i can't do this because obviously i'm getting depressed again without being on the uh, anti-depressants. I can't go back on the antidepressants because they destroy my mind. Um, So what am I gonna do? So I actually, I went private, I went looking and I just absolutely struck gold. I found a guy who was a qualified practitioner, a psychotherapist, but who was doing a PhD. And the thesis for his PhD was in the treatment of non-complicated major depressive disorder. And he needed basically uh, subjects to uh, participate in the research. And the yeah. research was basically, I'm going to treat you the way I, that you, sh- you would normally be treated. But I need you to fill in a bunch of forms before and after each session so we can yep. study how the therapeutic process actually works. So there's not really been a lot of you know, good you know, quantitative and qualitative research into this. And because of this, for ethics reasons, he could only charge costs. So I got therapy at 20 quid an hour for wow. my That's psychotherapy crazy. no it's it's excellent <laughs> like genuinely you like you know if if people ever say I'm, an, I'm a lucky so-and-so you don't know the half of it because without this uh i probably wouldn't be around to be perfectly honest especially mm-hmm. he was also just I, i've got to say he was a stand-up guy as well and the it was for 10 weeks at 20 quid and at the end of those 10 weeks he says i'm not raising your price i don't think it doesn't feel right to me so i'll give you another 20 sessions at 20 and if you want to go further than that we'll talk about raising it after that and I did psychotherapy, and I really, you know, I committed hard to it, and it worked. And I, I kept going. Like I got to the point where I was in clinical remission, and then I said, I want to keep going because it's not enough for me to simply have remission of symptoms. I want to have a, enough of an understanding of my own mental processes and like the stuff going on inside me that I don't end up going back there again, and so that potentially I could be of of help and benefit to others if they ever end up in a situation. And so that's that's what I did, and it's it's more or less mostly worked. And as a result. You know, everyone gets a spell now and then, where they're a bit depressed. And I've certainly had those. Particularly, so sort a of, lockdown has been interesting. And I don't—if there's any person who says that during lockdown we didn't get depressed a bit at some point, then I have to query what kind of super person they are, because I don't know anyone who hasn't been a bit down during it. Hi. But other, sorry.
0: Hi, that, that's me you're talking about. I've I fucking loved lockdown. Lockdown's been fucking amazing.
1: <laughs> what? Well, so you haven't had a you? You haven't had a single stretch of lockdown where you've been like, fuck.
0: No, no, genuinely no. Um, the, the only bits in which I've done that has been lockdown started to be lifted too early. <laughs> like, <laughs> those are the bits where I've went, oh shit, oh fuck. Um, no, like genuinely, <laughs> I've not had a problem with lockdown at all. It's suited me down to the fucking ground. But then I'm, I'm one of those fucking weird niche cases for sure. Like I don't see that I'm remotely normal in that aspect. No, so it's, it's well not obviously be- not
3: because you're a podcaster, David. <laughs> well,
0: yes, this is true.
1: So it's not communism gives you superpowers, then.
0: Uh, well, let's establish communism and then we'll talk. Uh,
1: (laughs) But yeah, so my mental health's been pretty good off the back of that. Having said that, having said that, I do have a fair bit of, I've developed a bit of medical anxiety the past year, to be perfectly blunt, um, off the back of the several health scares I've had that, you know, people who are familiar with my my, uh, Twitter will be familiar with. So I am actually back on the waiting list for, you know, some anxiety kind of treatment at this point. But mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not at clinically super dysfunctional levels or anything. I think it's just you know a natural consequence of all the shit I've had going on. But reckon, like yeah. the, the good news is having been through that process before, I know what to look out for in terms of watching my own mental health. And to bring it all kind of round, um, that was my experience. Contrast that with what you just heard in the interview, dear listener, and what many others, um, if you've got friends or family who've been through similar experiences, they probably have horror stories to tell you. Um, it's only getting worse, and that begs the question of: Well, at what point do you have to do you have to criticise, right? And how do you how do you actually structure that criticism? Because I don't think anyone on our podcast is against the NHS. Uh, I think I'll go out and say we're all very much in favour of there being nationalised services, including health. I think that's, yes. that's fair
3: to say. The principle of healthcare free at the point of use for all kind for all. Health, like, not just what we have at the moment, which is pretty much physical health and mental health if you can get it, plus you have to pay for some dentist fees or, well, at Hmm. least I don't don't know how different that, I know it's a bit different in Scotland for dentistry. No, no, you still pay, no, you still pay pay pay.
0: dentists, you pay opticians. Um, Everything's basically the same service-wise, I think. I don't think we pay for anything that you know you don't invest for else other than prescriptions i think that's like the big yeah. demarcation point
1: mhm yeah, i, think I, I think I
3: think i'm i think i'm pretty safe in saying that we would all want to see the the back of fucking prescription costs in the whole of the uk and oh yeah, dentist sure, fees yeah. and everything
1: yeah i mean you know right now you know teeth are luxury bones basically Um, that you get to have if you've got money. So, you know, that that should be shy. I'd go even further. I'd say it's not just enough for it to be free at a point of use, but actually, so long as we have states, healthcare has to actually be managed by the state, essentially. It's not enough to do it by private provision uh, as long as it's free because you'll still create those negative incentives. So we we all kind of, we all have this view. The problem is that it then makes it very difficult to offer valid and constructive criticisms of where the NHS is going wrong, um, without arming think, the opponents think of the that, NHS.
0: Yeah, I think with that caveat in mind of, like, we are in support of a national service, but we're just not necessarily in full support of a national service that's massively underfunded, like, mm. yeah. what we want is for it to be fucking funded, like, and easily accessible and properly staffed and everything else, and, like, the, the people who staff it should have um, fucking wages that are absolutely fair for them, not only to encourage them to stay on but to encourage more people into the field so that more people can then be helped
3: more significantly the right kinds of people Like that's not to say that the wrong people are in the NHS but there are people who work for the NHS who just do not understand what compassion is particularly uh, with with regards to mental
0: health I think a large part of that is down to the fact that they're all overworked and underpaid I think we find a lot of these people who are Yeah, I think a lot of these people who are, you know, when you when you interact with them, kind of dickheads. Like, they probably wouldn't be if they were paid yeah, well. if they had the time. had enough other staff around them, and they had more time to yeah. do the work and yeah, actually get absolutely. involved with it. I don't, well they're just, like, seen... they're
2: just the, the, you know, they're not, they're not trained for mental health. They're the ones who health. didn't burn they're out. Just, well, well, they're just not trained for mental health. Like, the person, you know, when we were talking with Melina, like, the person talking to you first in A&E is probably not a mental health professional. That's just a regular nurse... Fried crispy yeah. from doing so, many long shifts, you know?
1: So I, I agree with that with a caveat, right? Which is that, yes, that would fix, I think, a good 80% of the problems that you currently face. Um, It's, it's the old thing, you know, like, the worst teachers are the ones who don't want to be there, right? Who are there because mm-hmm. it's a career they've kind of come into and it's a shitty job, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Same must be true for, like, the, the medical services generally. Mm-hmm. But, and here's where I differ, I do think there is also a culture problem in the medical yeah, profession around doctors. There um and i say this like you know i've got friends who are doctors and i hello if you're listening i don't mean any offense to you specifically you've never i've never seen any indication this applies to you but there are doctors who fundamentally consider themselves a class apart from the rest of the population and who are incredibly judgmental of the people who come into their offices and paternal and frankly um Slightly sociopathic in the way they actually relate well to the people they're providing, the, you know, care to.
0: The solution to this is not only a, a fully funded and you know well-staffed NHS; it's also the complete um, destruction of private
1: practices. Yes,
0: that's it's, it's, that's the other thing that needs to happen. The NHS has to be a, like full monopoly on yes. healthcare services
1: so here's a slightly a little tangent but i think it's related um one of my other doctors i've had and i'm not going to name who again for a different reason this time we talk politics um from time to time when i when i used to see them i've not really seen them in a long time now and um so my appointments like i'd go in and my appointment would be for like 10 minutes and the first five would be just like dusting off whatever the thing was i was going in for that day and then the last five would be talking politics in particular health politics right and Round about the time of the independence referendum in Scotland in 2014, um, I went in for an appointment. We sat down and chatted, and he said, "Off, I think this is this is ridiculous." I'm a doctor in questions from originally from a foreign country, fairly Scottish now, obviously, but originally comes from another another culture. And he says the medical profession here is very strange and weird, and actually a um, a bit dangerous. And I was like, "How do you mean?" He's like, "Well, this doesn't get repeated with my name associated." And I was like, "No, no, no, I'd I'd never. I'm not going to repeat it to anyone with your name, and I wouldn't." He's like, "Right, okay, so." I I get invited to dinner parties because this is just part of the culture here. Um, And I go along to them and I was at a dinner party and all the people there, all the fellow doctors were all saying they were dead against there being an independence referendum. They thought it was ridiculous to allow your common person to make decisions about the future of the nation and he was saying that he hit out going well hang on that's a that's a fascist attitude how can you possibly think that and they're like well no you just need to look at the kind of people that come into our surgeries every day and you see that they're not fit and so uh like as a guy saying this to me his eyes are wide and like you know he uh like, he himself has been a pretty good doctor, but he himself, from time to time, has occasionally hit out with a couple of, like, little comments here and there. I'm like, all right, okay, you're very comfortable upper middle class, kind of, in your background and stuff. So for this guy to be saying, by the way, all the doctors I work alongside and that I have to socialise with, etc., have absolutely abhorrent political views of superiority to the people they're treating. Like, i got to say, that tracks with my experience from time to time when I've ran into particular doctors who've not given the time of day. To this day, by the way, I just... You know, further on the subject. The medical services do not know I'm non binary and I have no intentions of telling them. Because I'm certain the second I told them my quality of care would diminish as a consequence of that.
3: Fuck okay, it. So. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, because uh I'm I'm not sure if non being non-binary falls under it, but being trans yep. falls under the category of complex needs. Yep. Which is uh that's always a fun little uh, little fact for you. <sighs>
1: <laughs> AKA, Aka, we don't want to have to deal with it. But
3: uh, well, yeah, I mean, pretty much, uh, it's a, a not. A, it's like a black mark against your, the quality of care that you're going to receive. Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, you know, speaking of quality of care and not wanting to deal with stuff, we did have an article we were going to happily dump into our listeners' brains and um, to inflict yes. psychic damage on them. Yeah, should we? Yes. Should we do that?
0: We should. We should.
1: So yeah, the reason I raised this is, until recently, and that's the, that's the only good thing, that's the, like I'm, I'm putting the good news up front, listener. Until recently, there was a scheme. It's been discontinued, well, supposedly.
3: In most trusts.
1: <laughs> well, we'll come back to that at the end, then. Until recently, in most trusts, um, there has been a mental health scheme that was instituted, and it was called SIM. And I'm reading an article from uh, The Independent, which is uh, very interesting on the topic, where basically an NHS whistleblower came forward to talk about the SIMS system. So I'm just going to read direct from the article, and I'm going le- to allow you, the listener, to paint a picture in your head, right? What is Serenity Integrated Mentoring? Mm. If that doesn't immediately make you feel, oh, no... Then strap in. That's
3: some, uh, that's like a straight out of the ominous projects
2: playbook. <laughs> it, is, it, yeah. it really
1: is Soylent Green levels of like naming a thing, you know, create <laughs> dread. Um, so, Serenity Integrated Monitoring, or SIM, has been adopted by 23 mental health trusts in England. It was designed to enable police and accident emergency services to cope with patients who regularly phone 999 or arrive at hospitals having self-harmed attempted suicide or threatened to take their own life when tagged under the system patients can be denied care prevented from seeing doctors or psychiatrists and sent home mm. Jesus christ. Do
2: christ
3: you know what it's funny it's funny how much uh aspects of what uh, melina mentioned while we were while we were having our little chat uh about you know, these barriers that are set up to care. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's this great is... to see uh, that being expanded into a, well,
2: into a, f- yeah. a mostly dismantled system. Into a formalized scheme. I love it when things yeah. are formalized into a scheme. That makes me feel good about myself. It's like when we made all those uh,
3: all those crimes that cops did legal.
1: Yeah. I made it fine. <laughs> Speaking of, of crimes by cops that are legal, crimes against humanity. Um, what, what no. makes mental health better including the police and so uh. the purpose of Sim <laughs> is to help patients with high mental health needs to better manage their behavioural responses to distress and therefore reduce the impact on emergency services Jesus oh. Look, James,
3: James when I'm having a mental health crisis the first thing that people need to show me just to calm me down is a
2: cop I was going well, to say. Well, you're, in, you're in luck the team,
1: there. But... Yeah, you're in luck there because once referred to the scheme, individuals are assigned a police mentor, who contacts them twice a week to forge a plan for managing their symptoms.
3: I just on on this. I do you know when when we first started talking about this? Uh, this is fucking insane. You know, this
2: is just it's, this policy. Yeah.
3: I decided. I decided to um, have a look at what my trust's policy was, and I just want to read um, one small line. It's my favourite line in this whole document. It's about 119 pages, but it's my favourite line in it. A police mentor is an officer who is trained in mental health.
2: Done and done. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) Jesus I think
1: Christ. David has lost the power of speech at that one. Yeah, yeah. David can <laughs> only be Ralph...
2: by soundboard now. It's... <laughs> yeah,
1: fucking Ralph Wiggum with the dial. We're, we're, we're not done, though. We're not done. Right? <laughs> so keep your, keep your finger on that button, David, and get ready. Oh. So proponents of a scheme say that it decreases the number of calls to 999 and admissions to A&E. Yeah, I wonder how it does it. As part of the ongoing treatment plan some are encouraged to sign up to a written protocol agreeing that if they present themselves to staff accident emergencies saying they are suicidal they will not be admitted
2: well that's all <laughs> going wrong. i love so it let, when let, the let, cops present me with a piece of paper when i'm in mental distress saying no i'm fine actually that's great yeah this is this is, um, this is the kind of sensitive stuff that if it were to happen to me i would say please I don't want a doctor. Can a police officer with training in mental health come see me?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's okay, though, because you'd presume that there's been some testing on this, right? Except an NHS doctor said that he had to turn away a woman who had attempted suicide on multiple occasions because she had been assigned to the SIM scheme. He considered resigning as a result. He said, I would expect there to be trials to demonstrate safety, efficacy and cost-effectiveness – but I'm not aware of any trials being done, yet we've adopted this wholesale. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just reiterate, I, I want to like clarify this. Here's how it works. If you are someone who is suffering acute mental distress, and you present yourself to A&E, like I did years ago, you, um, if it's your first time there, they'll, they'll handle you quite nicely, etc., and then they'll pawn you off on whatever services, which I think we've established quite clearly are not sufficient for the task, right? If you have a follow-up event where you are suicidal again, then every time you go in, there's a chance you get tagged under this SIM scheme. And once you're tagged under this SIM scheme, you're forwarded to the police, where a police mentor will cut, will get in touch with you twice a week, i.e. a cop will call you twice a week James, to see how you're James, getting on. Sir?
3: We have to qualify this. They are trained in mental health. Cops of course,
1: of course in they are. Health. So the cops will get onto you <sighs> and harass you and make you sign an agreement saying that you can be turned away if you present yourself to accident emergency, essentially. Um, no, matter, no matter what you are going on. And bear in mind, right, I want to just really reiterate, okay, you might be thinking, well, all right, if there's people turning up going, listen, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt myself, that's not so severe, is it? You're wrong if you think that. But let's just let's just allow you to have that thought for a moment. Remember, the opening said um, patients who regularly phone nine nine or arrive at hospitals having self harmed, attempted suicide, or threatened. Right? Yeah. So this includes people who show up having yeah. cut their wrists or similar. Right? This is fucking. This is a combination of
0: you can't do that. That's illegal and minority report. Yeah. I
2: mean, this is, I, I, I you're being punished for I... a
0: crime that you haven't fucking committed only because they can't get you after you commit that one fucking specific crime because you've killed yourself
2: well Fuck no do you know mind. it, it genuinely genu- I,
0: sorry I
1: yeah, I was just going to say, it, what this is is them going. Oh, we've got too much pressure on the mental health services, and accident emergencies are taking the brunt of it because there's nothing left over. Um, we can't have this. Uh, are we going to increase funding? No, just let the suicidal people kill themselves. Is what For this basically
2: fuck's is. Sake, the I DWP
0: approach to mental
2: it, health. Yes. Some, to me, it sounds like if you're working not. As an NHS doctor or nurse or mental health professional, but if you're working in the upper management layers of the Department of Health or something, and this like this is the kind of scheme I can well imagine that if you're completely devoid of contact with the front line, and it's going to be some some prick in a suit, and you know you're going to be under pressure, as you say, James, to you know reduce the number of mental health cases on the front line and you know maybe you're even sincere but kind of ignorant in your desire to, to do some good i can well imagine that this this type of scheme sold by the right person you know oh we'll get the police involved and there'll be regular contact like it has all the tick box excel sheet shit that you know these types of bureaucratic schemes have because what allows so, you to do is sort of is to say okay well I have, you know, as part of this program, we have reduced the amount of people coming in because they're too terrified of the police or whatever. But like, you know, st- if purely what you're doing is numbers foxing, then this is the type of shit that does work for you because you have no connection right. to
0: the real world. Rob, like, do you know what? Do Rob- you know
3: what's uh, what's good about this scheme? Is it was actually put together by
2: a cop, so you know. No, was, uh... well.
0: <laughs> so, Rob, what, what you're saying is here that actually the workers should be empowered to make decisions. Yes.
2: Uh yeah, why not? I mean, you know, I don't know if it's you know
0: they tried <laughs> the Soviet Union with
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Right, David, enough of that. Though, I mean, here's the thing, let's uh you mentioned this was made by a cop, right? Um this this is wilder than that, okay? Um I'm gonna read elsewhere in the article that goes on a little bit about this. Campaigners call sim cruel. You think Clin- clinicians are now asking where the evidence for it is? Would have been nice if it had been rejected by the clinicians right at the start. But you know, I'm not sure. There's no I, my my blind there. guess
2: is they were not involved in any of this before it was implemented because of numbers No, is
1: no um, remember the care commissioners are actual like at the the upper levels. The care commissioners. Are GPs? Oh well, excuse me, yeah. not GPs. They are. They are doctors, right? As we, as we very clearly established during I mean, the Hartlepool like, by well, election. But I mean, uh, like, that's, a, that's I, I said, end.
2: as I, I think I said earlier in the podcast, my sister is a is a health professional as well, and like, um, I think half the board of her hospital is technically doctors as well, but like they're doctors in the sense that they haven't seen a patient in the yeah. years, and all they do is not yeah. Let, let's be honest
0: here. Dan Hodges is a political pundit. Like, it, it doesn't mean anything, just because you got to something that doesn't Aye, okay. make you right. Fair enough. But to <laughs> David, continue... David,
1: David, David challenging the very concept of having a title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I swear I'm going to get him to be an anarchist yet. Anyway, um, <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, Sim has even enjoyed royal approval of course. after Prince William met with a founder of a scheme, former police officer Paul Jennings, in 2017 and gave a speech commending police on their efforts around mental health yeah, patients in crisis. So there you go, Royal approved, Yeah,
3: right? Great, I love it when a fucking Royal sticks their goddamn oar in <laughs> to tell us proles how we should actually be dealing with our, you know, people who are in crisis. Great, because yeah. you you had, like, any actual understanding of what it's like to, you know, go through the gruelling process of getting mental health care in this country, fuck you. But
2: but, but again, like, you see, you know, sorry, I don't don't want to too much hop on the same horse, but you see how this shit happens. Like, former police officer Paul Jennings, who, I don't know, I'm not even going to say he had ill intention, even though he's a cop and therefore probably did, but, you know, cooked up the scheme and thought maybe this is a good idea because it'll, you know, relieve pressure on the NHS, blah, blah, cops can do everything that attitude. And then he just meets a series of the right people you know, and then this was in 2017, so it's the same time as William and Harry then, you know, s- sadly now separated, um, did that whole, you know, uh, uh, Prince's mental so health sad. bit, you know, like see, it, I it all I, I falls like... together, and like you did this kind of grifting, and I'm not even sure if it was grifting, I'm going to be generous.
1: I f- I'm sure it's grifting, right, and I'll tell you why I'm sure it's grifting, okay? Um, because in a rapid, I'm going to read from the article, in a rapid turn of events, the company behind the scheme Keyword, the company behind the scheme, meaning they were being paid for it. It wasn't mm. like a voluntary organization. The high intensity network went to ground, removing its website, leaving patient staff and campaigners in confusion about the future of the scheme. Its social media presence had already been wiped. When The Independent approached Jennings, its founder, the email bounced back, saying, The high intensity network is now closed permanently. Thank you to everyone who supported our amazing eight-year journey, and to the service users who made such a great progress and were such an inspiration. Ugh.
2: In Fuck a previous
1: you. interview, Fuck he defended you. Sim. In a previous interview, he defended Sim as positive risk management.
2: Fuck you. Fuck so you. So I'm sorry.
1: No, this was a guy I... getting paid. Fuck you. That is my He's take one's... on it. Do
3: you know what it's? It really, it really is striking to me that this kind of language is. You know, it's bureaucratic nonsense essentially to say that. I mean, it's just it's just cover for the people who have tried to use service use services, gotten turned away, and then suffered, God only knows what as a result.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, the opening to the article is fucking heart wrenching because it it gives you an actual case study because it's is obviously this article is because of a whistleblower and fair play whoever you are out there who blew the whistle on this. Thank you. Yeah. You at least got this closed in a majority of trusts by the sound of it. But mm. um, this story is pretty harrowing, um, and I'm going to just read a little a little bit of it just to kind of set the scene. I won't go deep into it. Um, it was the police who brought Sally into accident emergency the night she tried to kill herself in her hostel. Now well, that's a sentence and a half. Jeez, the night she tried a... to kill herself in her hostel.
2: Jesus.
1: Staff at the hospital were used to seeing her. There had been several previous attempts. This time, there was a new psychiatrist on duty who looked at her case notes revealing a lifetime of sexual abuse and knew that she needed to be helped. Okay, good. But he was stopped. Sally had been tagged under a relatively new, little-known scheme that enables emergency services to turn away some of the most vulnerable mental health patients. It's called Serenity Integrated Monitoring, or SIM. It meant that Sally, her name has been changed, was discharged that night.
2: Fuck you, fuck you, Paul Jennings, fuck you.
1: The psychiatrist working on the front line of Britain's mental health crisis today turns whistleblower after speaking exclusively to the Independent about about the controversial system that overruled his attempts to help Sally. And then this is a quote directly from The Whistleblower. You've got people who are coming in with acute distress saying, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I relate to that personally. And rather than being dealt with in a compassionate way, you're pushing them away again, he said. This isn't about helping the person. It's about rubber stamping this person as difficult or branding them resource-heavy users, and then you can kick them out.
0: Uh, There's
1: a
3: fuck you. Running theme, running theme of uh, people who, you know people who actually need support from society from other people um, I mean, it's, and it's and it's it, like you get to a point where you are truly desperate because you are you know needing help and because you're in need, you're most in need you're most likely to be turned away you need too much help for us to Consider helping you. Well, You're I mean, a bad I mean, investment. That's, you know, if, if,
1: if that's we, how it works.
2: You know, Alistair, we, when we were talking to Melina earlier, you know, this is where we started. Yeah. You know, it's the the duty of, of the human or the citizen in, in the current British society or in most societies indeed is to be a productive citizen to produce more for society than you are scroungely taking out in whatever form. And therefore, the end result of all this shit is is the SIM bullshit that makes you a heavy user of services. And therefore, because you take more out of the system than you provide, makes you a scrounger. And that essentially means that you need to be stopped through numbers, fuxting, or a policeman, or, or literally whatever. cops, yeah. Li- yeah. You, you just need to be disciplined until you are a mem- productive member of society, or you need to die. Like yeah, the-
1: I mean... Here's the thing, the structural forces at play here are laid bare just in that short story, which is why I wanted to read it, okay? Yeah. Because, you know, here is a person who has suffered sexual abuse all their life, who's ended up homeless as a result of it, and in a hostel, who's repeatedly tried to kill themselves as a consequence to not being able to get the help they needed, even materially, or well just straight up materially, right? Forget socially, this person needs material help. They're not being given it by society because society's neglecting them, and then ultimately society's washing their hands of them and telling them to get fucked to literally, to literally, to literally fuck off and die. Yeah. And that is, that is, here's the thing. Paul Jennings is a symptom because we say fuck Paul Jennings and yes, fuck Paul Jennings, horrible man. But there will be a thousand Paul Jennings out there, right? The system produces people who fill the needs within the system. Somewhere there is someone looking at this sim thing going down and going, Hey, there's a new gap in the market coming about. Maybe I can do something a little bit more finessed and I can get paid as a consequence to that. Because there's always fuckers like that. There's yeah. always people out there looking for opportunity to get a beak sweat out of a public purse and to you know monetize the rot. And so there will be other Paul Jennings until we reverse the the course of our mental health services um, and the course of our society more generally, right? Yeah. Because let's be real. If I can, if I can offer a final observation, one that I'd love to expand on another time the mental health crisis is really a social material conditions crisis there's a reason that all the zoomers are depressed and anxious there's a reason that you know increasingly mental health crises are on the rise across you know across the planet especially like in the western world we're familiar with there's a reason for all of these things and it's the decline of social material conditions and the destruction of our futures that's causing it is
3: it. it is as uh, some therapists might say a reasonable response to unreasonable conditions
2: yes and on that hmm. note shall we do uh, some other things that are good for both us yeah and shall, shall, we health? Health? shall
3: we damage our mental health in a different way
0: yes yeah, yeah, let's, let, let's, let's have some unreasonable responses to unreasonable things, um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll do some comment or commentary at then shall we to round this yeah, off um, little of and, uh, if you have skipped, um, welcome back for the end, um, don't know why you would want to skip to this part but here you are um, so yeah, usual comment or commentary at, um, let's just dive in shall we, so Starmer would make an excellent Home Secretary but he needs a charismatic leader with whom he can shine Sadly, Labour lost its chance to elect a great leader when they spurned the vet Cooper for
2: Corbyn. Comment <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I or commentaria. whoever this
1: is. Commentary that is. that. Com- that, com- that commentaria, <laughs> The Guardian. Un-
3: yeah, that's, that that stinks of a, some fucking liberal dipshit in The Guardian. Yeah, I'm
1: going Pol- <laughs> to Polly Tony B. Polly Tony B. The Guardian, why not? I'm going to say comment in The Guardian. You're right, Rob, it was a comment in the Guardian. <laughs> ah. It's always this one that catches us. Always. Yep. Well, we all guess Guardian, to be fair,
3: but so I yeah, think we no, yeah, could take solids in that.
1: <laughs> right, next
0: one. This is the irony in Hancock's request on Friday for privacy for my family on this personal matter. <laughs> There is no Sorry. doubt his family deserves it, but a great many other families would have been grateful for more privacy over the last 15 months. Instead, the Tory government decided to legislate for what people do in their own homes, and in so doing, ah. set up a system where people came to worry that they'd be reported to the police, perhaps by their neighbours, if they stretched the rules by inviting yes. children over to play in their back gardens. Get comment in. or commentaria.
3: Is that is yeah. that comment... Uh, sorry, Commentariat in the Spectator.
0: Yeah, that's Ooh. where
1: I'm feeling with this. I'm feeling Commentariat Spectator on this as well. It's, I, I was, it's, it's slightly too... The language, the register of it, it's slightly too much like the Daily Mail or equivalent, but it's definitely on that kind of wavelength uh, of just yeah. the yeah, destruction. i destruction.
2: I'm, I'm vibing hard for Alison Pearson in The Telegraph.
0: Ooh, okay. Um, so we're all partially right here. It is Commentariat. It was Fraser Nelson... In the Telegraph, in News. So yeah, okay, well done. Um, Next one.
3: (laughs) Are we actually actually getting better at this? (laughs) Yeah, I think we are. Incredible.
0: We are seeing just how divisive and dangerous the ideology of multiculturalism has become. Yeah. Multiculturalism (laughs) is surely the worst and most toxic policy that has been adopted in post-war Britain. No, this does not mean it is bad to have a multi-ethnic and multi-racial society. The vast majority of people are perfectly fine with that. But multiculturalism is something different. It is a policy embraced across the entire political spectrum that actively undermines the ideals of national unity and community solidarity by fostering cultural difference and ethnic separatism. (laughs) It has balkanised Britain, nurturing the politics of grievance and even the politics of hatred. Comment or commentary.
3: That is fucking Mein Kampf shit. That's very
2: powerful. Holy mother of God. That's nuclear
1: level. That is... Richard Littlejohn, Daily Mail.
3: I'm going to go comment in vain
2: hope that this wasn't published I'm going to say comment on the BBC
0: Oh my sweet oh, son of on children BBC. That was Commentaria and it was Brendan O'Neill in Spiked
1: oh. oh no! no! Oh, <laughs> my first thought was Spiked but the more it went on I was like no it, it's, it's too hard for Spiked it has to be the master oh, right? That, oh, that article man. as I read oh. it it was
0: very difficult to pick a part that was really bad because
1: there was so much of it Oh like, I feel so genuinely I'm gutted with myself if I just trusted my first instinct there God oh, damn it. Do you want right. to know what the
0: article was about? Oh, go on. Battle in Spain.
1: Incredible. Oh, by the uh, way, tune, is... in, tune in next week, listener, for thoughts on that one. Yes. Anyway. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Uh, sure I, to say actually, as,
0: as you listen to this episode, if you've listened to it and released it, it will be voting day. So look stay forward on. to the next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, literally home. anything but vote. Yep, just yeah. stay home. Don't bother. Um, right, next one. They will not be vaccinating my children. Yes. I am more than happy to be vaccinated, and I have been. Yes. But I will not consent to my child being vaccinated with something that was only invented a few months ago and that will be of little or no clinical benefit to them. Plus, it's unethical to vaccinate our kids when health workers in other countries are dying due to lack of vaccines comment or commentary
1: <laughs> no whoa whoa, whoa. hang on let, me, let fucking... me grind back a bit so it's yeah. not going to be any benefit the vaccines don't work but it's unethical to use the vaccines while health workers in other countries don't have them yeah I know,
0: it's unethical work. to use them because they don't work on kids because kids don't get the virus they don't die from uh, oh, that's the train uh, of thought here
1: uh, right um, I'm I'm just gonna I'm intentionally not gonna go off on one at that. You you all know my thoughts <laughs> at this point. Uh, that's a comment. I maintain it's a comment. Um, the only other option would be that it was Jess Phillips, but she's not against um, <laughs> she's not against vaccines as far as I know. No, so it's SMEs a sneeze for Jess. Yeah, it's a comment. It's a comment, and in terms of where it is, uh, the only two places that come to mind are the BBC comment section or Mumsnet, and Heck I don't what? think. I don't think it's going to be BBC because I think BBC have been pruning anti-vax okay. comments. Okay. So I'll go with mum's net.
2: I'm going to go comment Daily Mail. Okay. I'm
3: going to go comment. Oh, Why don't we say? Why don't we go comment Telegraph? Why not? <laughs> All
0: right. It was a comment on the BBC News website.
1: Hey! <laughs> oh, shit.
0: <laughs> so they're not actually
1: pruning anti-vax comments. If
0: they are, um, they haven't they got to, to, to that one yet. They do a better job. Yes, Uh. step your game up Um, Right, last (laughs) one Don't lose hope Though Keir Starmer is under attack For a lack of ferocity in the culture wars The public may end up preferring A measure of civility in the commons To bullying bluster
1: uh... King's College
0: research shows that more than half the electorate are more attuned to nuance and moderation. They say people get <laughs> <Muds. the> politicians. <laughs> wait 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 wait. They say people get the politicians they deserve. Labour winning in Batley and Spen would be a vote for better politics. Comment or commentary. <laughs>
2: This is some- Oh,
0: that is that
3: is distilled commentariat, David. You have <laughs> set that one right up. If it's comment, I'm going to be so, so disappointed.
2: <laughs> I think we're going back has- to where we, we started. I think this is another comment of the Guardian.
1: Yeah, it feels comment. I'm not sure it's Guardian... Sorry, not comment. Commentaria. It feels commentariat. I'm not sure Guardian no. Right? And... I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play a wild card, okay? I'm gonna mm-hmm. say commentary at the mirror. Right. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. My, please excuse me, my cat is going mental and attacking the back of my monitor. Uh so <laughs> hang on while I shift that uh, Jamie, edit this out. I'm so sorry. No, but no, keep the you. cat in, keep Jamie, the cat keep in. the cat in. The cat stays in
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, right, yes, right so okay. Britty, so I've got one girl, for commentary at the mirror. What else have I got?
3: Uh, I've got I've gone commentary out because it can't be fucking anything. i
2: have going to say Guardian. Come on. I've gone comment in the Guardian.
0: Oh right, okay. It was commentary. Oh. It was the Guardian. Yeah. Yes. Holly Toynbee. Yeah. No! Yes. Yes. And we come full circle. Okay. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Just absolute fucking galaxy brain shit. The electorate are more attuned to nuance and moderation, and this is why Jeremy Corbyn is the prime minister. Clearly. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh. Oh. I do. <laughs> I mean,
1: it, what I love about it is, as you were reading that, uh, in my head, I just heard a, a blazing citation needed. And you can tell she's the queen of this shit because clearly she anticipated that and so decided to pull out the world's worst citation to back her point.
3: Yeah, fucking.
1: <sighs>
3: Even my oh, cat doesn't just... like her.
2: Understandable. Your, your,
3: cat, your cat has fine judgment.
2: <laughs> I like well, that you've folks, trained your battle. cats to attack Polly Toynbee. I think that's a very good sign.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right, folks, I think we'll call it there then. Um, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back to I've got more standardised one... politics shit next week.
3: I've got one thing to add to that. Um huh. Melina is going to be releasing an article about Sim on her blog. Um, that should be released either the day this episode comes out, or it should be released on the Wednesday, so the day before this cut should come out. Uh, if you'd like to hear more about that, then you can go and go and visit her blog and read the read the article she's written. Uh, the uh, link will be in the show notes. Yes, yeah, it's a good blog. Yes, she's,
2: she's a good writer. I can heartily recommend actually reading it. Brilliant.
0: Yep, definitely right. please do that. Um and also please like also said,
2: subscribe we, to our Patreon at patreon.com.
0: Give me a chance here, Rob, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> give me a chance here, you fucking oh, nah. oh, nah. oh we're nearly done. I need to fucking curl to, up into a ball I'm and really, die here.
1: I really don't like it when my pod dads fight. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have you back, David.
0: Uh, it's better than the editing suite <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hi <Jamie>. right, so <laughs> Yeah, so we'll be back next week. Regular politics with the by-election results to go. And who knows, <laughs> no you may get an episode earlier than that, depending on the results and the fallout. Um, we are not above doing an emergency episode if Starmer fucks it to the point of resigning. Um, so yeah. maybe, like, just keep an eye on the feed. Um, if you if you can we,
2: hear the sound of cackling laughter coming through your phone at some point, it may be that there's a new podcast episode out.
1: Yeah, if it <laughs> yes. appears like a nuclear glow has risen over the greater Soviet Republic of Strathclyde, <laughs> then you can be pretty sure that uh, it's not—it's yeah. not a nuclear. It's not, nu- it's it's not Lane, shining. it's merely
0: pesocification. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. It might happen. It might not. We'll just need to wait and see. There's a lot of factors, but we will tweet about it. So follow us on Twitter at PraxisCast and also join the Patreon. We now have bonus episodes. Um, the first one is already out with Riley. And we have plans for more content coming out quite soon, Um, so look forward to that. More details will surface on Twitter or in Discord for patrons. Um, You can join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash PraxisCast. You can pay us five quid, you can pay us ten quid, or you can pay us five hundred quid if you are literally Elon Musk. Um, No extra benefits for that because fuck you, just give us your money, Elon. Um, And yeah, that I think will cover us for everything. Also, buy the shirts, there's new shirts, very cursed shirts. Yes, buy the the Brussels PraxisCast.
3: Okay, thank you everyone, bye. Bye.
0: (laughs) Yeah, cheerio, bye.
3: Bye. Bye bye.